Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Due to recent uh, rumblings and reports on Twitter, we may or may not be a uh, notable uh, account on Twitter anymore. Uh, It's subject to change. Uh, We'll find out. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of things going on in the social media, so you definitely want to make sure you're following odphpodcast.com and get all the latest going on because the social media accounts are all right there. So we'll find out our Twitter status within the next few hours, along with Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, we're on there. Also, check out the T Public Store, the Patreon link. Shout out to all our amazing patrons, the blog section of Parlay Points, the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, the directory, which, Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 113,000. Sounds about right to me. I'm not arguing that. Also, 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 we have on the front page of the website the official ballot for 607TWS's Brody Awards. So if you want to get your vote in, and you definitely do for the best of pro wrestling in 2022, make sure to click on the link and get it in before December 29th to be counted. Well, let me help you do a little legwork so some of you might not look. You go right to the webpage, scroll down a little bit. Once you get past the player, it's right there. Boom. Just click on the link, fill it out. Got to fill out every single questionnaire. We got some votes in already, and it's definitely making the rounds on the web. So you definitely want to make sure your voice is heard for this year's competition which will be the first show in January. And then the cheersies are coming out too for the comics. So definitely stay tuned for that, but we'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast. So you want to make sure you're following on your favorite podcast player and you won't miss a minute of the content. That's how easy it is. And then also, if you get lost, make sure you use the hashtag ODPHpod on social media and you can find out everything going on with the ODPH podcast. But kicking off this sports edition though, as we do each and every week during the National Football League, we recap the week that was with our locks and leaps. So, Pat, kick us off. Yeah, so we're going to start with my lock, and uh, I chose the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Houston Texans because, well, Houston is the worst team in the NFL, at least by record. Absolutely. Uh, and they did. However, it was only by the four points, uh, winning by the final score of 27-23. to 23. Dak Prescott, uh, 24 of 39 for 284 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Davis Mills, 16 of 21 for 175 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Damian Pierce led Houston for rushing 22 carries, 78 yards, one touchdown. Ezekiel Elliott led Dallas for rushing with 15 carries, 62 yards, one touchdown. Dalton Schultz was the leading receiver for Dallas with six catches, 87 yards, uh, no touchdowns. And then Chris Moore led for Houston with 10 catches, 124 yards. God damn. Uh, And no wonder he's at the top of the waiver wire this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And no touchdowns. Well, this game can be very... Easily summed up as Dallas slept on Houston. Mm-hmm. They took him too lightly. And this is a t- situation that if Dallas is really going to be a contender in the playoffs, which they're all signs point they're going to go in there. There's no question of that. They need to have a little more sense of urgency when it comes to defeating the lesser talented teams mm-hmm. and really make sure that you don't lose your playoff seating. Because now as we're going into crunch time, this is where it all comes into play. Mm-hmm. Dallas looked flat. Houston has nothing to lose. They're playing with house money. Literally. 
So the fact they're showing up and giving teams such as Dallas a tough time is very telling of who is really focused on closing out the season strong. Mm-hmm. Dallas, though, I will admit, had injuries on the defensive side. Sure. But they also came up clutch when they needed to, but it's a situation that the offense needed to get rolling quick. It didn't. And when it came up clutch late, it bailed them out because yeah. they were on that last-minute drive, too. And that's what sealed the deal for him. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly a it's a win for Dallas, and you can't take that away from them. But this is a little cause for concern, I would say, just because, like we said, it's Houston. They're currently one eleven and one in the NFL. You know, worst record in the NFL. Likely will have the you know, barring anything bizarre happening. You know, the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. And I know that it got mentioned on either the radio I was listening to or Sports Center or something that like they got a matchup with Philly coming up. So I was like, oh, maybe they got caught looking past. Houston, and they, they were looking forward to Philly. Well, not entirely the case, uh, because the Philly game's not for another two weeks. You know, so this this game just all sorts of puzzling, because at halftime, uh, it was seven, uh, 20 to 17 uh, in favor of Houston. So clearly, Mike McCarthy got in there and probably lit a fire under their ass at halftime, uh, because uh, Houston only scored three more points the rest of the way, whereas Dallas scored another 10 in the fourth quarter. You know, so, hey, it's a win for Dallas. You certainly can't take that away from them. But, like I said, it's it's cause for concern just because you're the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you're supposed to have this great team offensively, this great team defensively. Special teams, hey, it's special teams. You know, I don't think Dallas is really known for their special teams, but, hey, it helps. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it's cause for concern when you got this team by with Houston that you only beat by four points. You know, and this is a team that you probably should have beaten by double digits. You know, I'm not going to say 20, 30, at least two scores. They should be in by time. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Like that that's at the bare minimum, but this team didn't show up. And luckily they pulled it out in the second half and they really mm-hmm. locked it in. But if you're going to be doing this type of play in the playoffs, you're going to be a one and done. I'm sorry. This isn't a cause for s- severe panic, but it is caution for alarm. Mm-hmm. I think you have to definitely say that because the elite teams beat the lesser teams. Mm-hmm. It's just how it goes, folks. Dallas should have absolutely destroyed Houston. Yeah. I know that they were favored by 14 At going least. into the No, that, that was the opening line. Okay. So, okay. so by the time it was game time, I think it was 17 and a half. Yeah, yeah. But that's just a temp in the room of how much this game should have gone in Dallas's favor. Yeah. The fact Houston showed up, I mean, it's any given Sunday, so you know, it sure. can happen. But sure. if you're a playoff team, let alone one that could sneak in that number one spot if things roll in your favor. Yeah. This is a very bad game to try selling that case. Yeah, and I know some people are trying to paint the narrative that, oh, Houston always plays Dallas tough. Do they? Like, I know probably in the Deshaun Watson years they probably did, but, like, I can't really remember any other time of year where it was like, holy shit, the Houston Texans are really, you know, taking it to the Dallas Cowboys. So, like, you know, they were keeping up with you. But, like I said, this was with Davis Mills, Damian Pierce, Chris Moore, who, I'll be honest, until I looked at the waiver wire, because I need to, I need to take a look at the wide receivers for the one playoff matchup I'm in for fantasy. Saw Chris Moore, and I went, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Mm-hmm. You know, the nobody on on Houston is really like, "Yo, I need that guy for my fantasy team." Exactly. This is a situation that Houston might show up, and I think in the early years of the franchise expansion, they made a big deal about it because it was in state yeah. for Dallas. But it's never been really considered a major rivalry, I mean, no. at least not in my opinion. No. So I can't see how you say that. So it's it's a tough sell. But it goes back to Houston is not a good team no, in any stretch of the imagination. And I think a lot of people were feeling that momentum from the 
absolute absurdity that was the game against Indianapolis for Dallas, mm-hmm. where they dropped 52 on them. So I think people are expecting they should have done it again. And, and that's a safe bet, but at the same time, Dallas took them too lightly. Yeah. That's that's the takeaway from this. And now looking at the rest of the schedule, there really isn't a lot of room for error. No, I mean, because you look at the, the playoff standings, especially over in the NFC Conference, obviously you've got the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the number one seed, and they have clinched. Where the heck is the little thing? Uh, there it is. They have clinched a playoff berth, uh, so they are in the playoffs. Uh, you've got the Dallas Cowboys sitting at the number five position. So still, you know, 10-3, and three, so they'll, pro- they'll make the playoffs just mathematically. They haven't, you know cross that threshold yet mm-hmm. uh, but they do still have some interesting games left to go because they have the jacksonville jaguars this upcoming uh sunday uh after that they've got the philadelphia eagles at home on uh christmas eve uh and then they've got the tennessee titans that is on thursday december 29th and then the two close out the year they have got the washington commanders uh that is on sunday although the time is to be determined because well that could get interesting yeah, that could possibly get flexed. Mm-hmm. Didn't think I would ever say that with Washington this season, but there's a couple of games that, like, I'm just noticing as we go along that, like, the last week of the season, not all the teams, but there's a couple of teams that, like, that matchup is to be determined, and I think they're waiting to see how things play out before they decide. All right, are we putting this at the one o'clock or four thirty? Yeah, so definitely stay tuned for that. But for Dallas, I mean, they really have to lock it in this final stretch. The yeah. game against Philadelphia is going to be the real benchmark. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Jacksonville might not sneak one on them next yeah, week. They, could. they might they because could. Jacksonville is going to get in there. And they're playing for a playoff spot too. So they're definitely going to be very hungry for a win. It just depends on what Dallas team shows up. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely have to stay tuned for that. And then Houston, hey, thanks for showing up. Yeah, exactly. Nothing said there. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to go to my leap because, well, statistically I looked at this and I heard a little stat that I went, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I chose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the San Francisco 49ers because, Ken, do you know what the stat is? What is that stat? Uh, the stat is that in quarterbacks making their first career start in the NFL against Tom Brady, they were, when the keyword is were in that little sentence, Oh, and six. Hmm. And I saw the list. I don't have the list in front of me, but just suffice to say, they're 0 and six. Uh, and so Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, uh, making his first career NFL start against Tom Brady. I went, okay. Yeah. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers put a shellacking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by the final score of 35 to seven. Uh, Brock Purdy, 16 of 21, 16 of 21 for 185 yards passing. Two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, Tom Brady, 34 of 55 for 253 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Rashad White was the leading rusher for Tampa Bay with 13 carries, 56 yards, no touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey led for uh, San Francisco, 14 carries, 119 yards uh, with only one touchdown. Brandon Ayuk led San Francisco in receiving two catches, 57 yards, one touchdown. Uh, And then Chris Godwin led Tampa Bay with uh, five catches, 54 yards, and zero touchdowns. And, of course, uh, T's and P's to Debo Samuel, who left the game with – uh, an injury that he's probably done for the year with. Yeah, that definitely looked very, very bad. So our thoughts and prayers with him on that one. This game, man, mm-hmm. is Brock Purdy for real? I mean, I think it's a case of he's, you know, um, I, I got to look and see if he's actually a rookie or it's, you know, he just hasn't made a start in the NFL. I think it's a case like we see in a lot of sports, NBA you know, Major League Baseball, hell, even hockey. That like, you know, he's a let's see, he's, yeah, he's a he's a uh, rookie. That, uh, he was drafted this year, uh, so I think it's a case of you get this guy in in their sport, not a lot of film on the guy, 
You know, I mean, hell, we saw this with Bailey Zapp, Zappi earlier in the year with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of tape on the guy outside of college. Well, obviously, the college game, it, what they did in college isn't exactly going to translate to how they play in the NFL. You know, so I think it's just a case of there's not a lot of tape on the guy. They're kind of just going off of what they know the team can do. But until you see the skill set on the field, looking pretty good. Yeah. Eventually, this this balloon, if you will, is going to come back down to earth. But is it enough to get him into the playoffs? Maybe. You know, they, they certainly have a fantastic team, you know, with a fantastic offense. Now that fantastic offense is hinged on Debo Samuel being there. So if, if, if Debo Samuel somehow miraculously makes a comeback, which I don't think he will, you know, if, if Debo Samuel's there, they can make a decent run in the playoffs. Without Debo Samuel, eh, that's going to be tough because the defense can only get you so far. Yeah, that's going to be the question about – how much Purdy can really propel this offense? We know Jimmy G was trying to come back. I haven't heard anything more about. I think it's still it's it's still a case of he might, and that's like all capitals italicized. You know, might come back. But the one thing that San Francisco has to be extremely happy with is Purdy is actually managing games, and the fact that he won in this fashion. Mm-hmm. If you're a 49ers fan, you have to be ecstatic. Not saying that you're going to count your chip for the Super Bowl just yet. But you're going to get in there and actually compete. Uh, so looking on the injury report for the, the San Francisco 49ers, according to David Lombardi of The Athletic, uh, quote, San Francisco head coach Kyle Shanahan said Tuesday that he expects Debo Samuel, knee slash ankle, to return to game action in three-ish weeks. Well, then if he can get in the playoffs, that's the so, time they need him. I'll say so three-ish uh, would put them at the final week of the season, and I'm willing to bet. They'll probably if they'll pro- if he, if it's a case of like win and they're in he might play but if they got a playoff spot secured sit him for the uh, first round of the playoffs I think they sit him no matter what I don't think they're going to take any chances with him because if they can keep this offensive force healthy mm-hmm. they're going to and Debo is so crucial to making that offense run this defense is scary too yeah holy fuck like that's the one thing that we don't ever talk about well i think it's because we're east coast and and admittedly unless it's san francisco playing one of the marquee like big name teams that like draws a big viewership crowd we really don't see the 49ers games here on the east coast yeah like if it's you know san francisco versus arizona unless it's on like a thursday night game or it happens to be on the sunday night game odds are if it's one of the 430 games we're probably not going to see it Right, but if you think about it, start going through the defensive names other than Nick Bosa. Right. I mean, who really jumps out at you? And this isn't a slight against them. I want to stress this because somebody thought I was, I was talking down about them. No, this is perfect because they are flying under the radar of teams to that are, you know get all the spotlight on and sometimes people tend to go over the top because they want to get the highlights. I mean, the only name I recognize, and that's because he asked Brady for an autograph on a football after the game, is uh, Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, which Which, he... fucking half a game. Uh, 15 total tackles, 10 of them solo uh, tackles, and he had one pass defended. Yeah. Fucking Christ, that man was everywhere. Exactly. He had an interception, too. Yeah. That was, that was the game winner, I believe. Like, or oh, well, I shouldn't say game winner because they were up 35. It's, you know. it, cinched it. it cinched it for him. It basically cinched them. I mean, that was the whole thing. When you play this lights out, and like I say, they're flying under the radar, and that's what I think really excels with this team. Yeah. That you don't have anybody that's really trying to go above and beyond to get on the highlight reel. Sure. They're playing so solid, and they are just a physical team, yeah, too. They're, they're Like you said, they're flying under the radar because, I mean, looking at the standings, they're in the number three spot in the NFC for the playoffs because they're the division leader out there. But you've got Philly in that conference who's 12-1. and one. Mm-hmm. Fuck. 
You've got the Minnesota Vikings, who everyone's focusing on because everyone's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with them from the perspective of the luckiest team in the NFL. Exactly, just from the differential and just how you know how they're winning games. Everyone's trying to figure that shit out. You've got everyone trying to figure out what the hell's going on with Tampa Bay and, and Brady. You know, you've got Dallas and everyone focusing on Dallas because the NFC least is now pretty damn good mm-hmm. uh you know and, and then just with the uh the giants and everything else so it's like there's five six different storylines going on in the nfc where the the uh 49ers honestly if if things play out that that way i'm not saying they could get to the super bowl you know if things fall their way they could you know screw around and find out i think if it comes out of them in philly that could be a scary, scary NFC championship game. Well, I mean, because we're looking at the playoffs. So Philly gets the bye. Uh, so Minnesota would play, I want to say, what it would be the Giants, I think. And so then the Niners would play the Commanders, which, yeah, I'm, I'm taking I'm Brock Purdy or Jimmy G. I'm taking the Niners in that game. Yeah, I don't care who's quarterbacking. I take, yeah, the, I take I'm the 49ers I'm taking, in that one. I'm taking the Niners. So in, the, in this hypothetical playoff scenario, they're making it out of the, at least the first round. Oh, easily. I think they're, if this team gets rolling, they're going to be very, very hard to beat. And Christian McCaffrey has done a lot to really solidify this team. Debo is the one that makes it go, though. So that's the smart play is to let him sit. But depending on how the 49ers schedule plays out, I would be more or less focused on getting my teams just to the finish line because I think they've got the NFC West pretty much locked up. I mean, I know that they're up. Uh, they're up. It. They're up by two games on Seattle. I'll say I was in the playoff standing. Let me flip over the normal standings. Uh, let's see. So you've got the Niners currently at nine and four. Seahawks at seven and six. The Cardinals at four and nine, and then the Rams at four and nine. So I would say, barring some sort of historic collapse on the part of the Niners and a meteoric rise on the part of the Seahawks, I, I think the Niners have got it locked up. But I, I, the only possible way I see this, the Niners not winning this, is if they lose, somehow lose out and the Seattle has to win out. Yeah, which don't see happening. But hey, weirder shits happened. This is true, but this is something the 49ers team is so balanced. Like it's hard to bet against them. To be honest with yeah. you, yeah, it really is. And I thought Tom Brady coming out there was going to definitely do something. The only thing he did was make me say this should be it. Uh, and and yet the reports, and I'm not saying this to contradict you, just the counterpoint, you know. And yet the reports say that despite he will be a free agent after this season, reports are he wants to play in 2023. He might want to, but at the same time, you're seeing the diminishing of his skills. And to the reports saying he might end up back in New England, pump the brakes, folks. It's a nice narrative to it'd, sign it'd, out. It'd be cool. Don't get me wrong. I would fucking love for Mac as, as okay as he's been this year. Let's be honest. It's not as good as his rookie year. He's been okay. You know, for his okay as Mac has been, oh, fuck. I would love for him to sit behind Brady for a year and just sponge the shit out of him. Hell, move into his house, live with him for for that season. But it, it, but I just don't see it happening. I mean, Tampa, yes, Tom is an issue just because the nut well, okay, he looks all right. Hey, 253 and one touchdown, not bad. But you just you look at the last couple of games and it's just not been the same. No, he's on the decline. I yeah. and I'm not meaning this. Well, and he's got a couple of his key pieces not performing as well. I mean, you got Leonard Fournette, who's only got three touchdowns on the year, and then he's only got 524 yards rushing. Not ideal for I think what a lot of folks consider the number one running back. And then you look at Mike Evans, who's supposed to be one of his top receivers, uh, only has 805 yards receiving and three touchdowns. Well, he also was out a couple games for... Uh, right, but I think at, at this point, even with the injuries, people figured he'd be at least close to double digits by now. But that's the one problem with Tampa Bay's offense. People have kind of figured him out. 
And Brady is not exactly the Brady of old to switch it up at the stage. No, I mean, well, let's be honest. The Brady offense was figured out 15 years ago by the New York Giants in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, once that got figured out, you know, it's just a matter of you've got to have the pieces to do it. And it also helps that Tom is getting older and, and, and he can't throw the ball as deep and it's not, you know, all the other things. You know, I just think it's also the case of you got some of the other guys. You know, I mean, Chris, look at Godwin, you know, 702 yards receiving two touchdowns on the year. Yeah. You know, those are supposed to be two of his top guys. They've got to combine five touchdowns. I know defenses that got more touchdowns than those guys combined. Well, that's the whole thing that this is just not the Tampa Bay of, of old. And I shouldn't say of old because Brady's only been there a couple years. A couple years, yeah. But this is where Brady is really showing his age. And yeah. this might be tough for a lot of fans to deal with. Mm-hmm. But he is starting to look on that decline like Peyton Manning did in his final year. Peyton did, Brett Favre too, yeah. Everybody does it. You don't beat Father Time no matter how hard you try. Brady's been lucky, but luck is running out. And I think for this team, if you look at their standings, they're 6-7 and seven in that awful <laughs> NFC South. That fucking NFC South is just hot fucking garbage. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who, let's face it, folks. As bad as the division is, somebody has to be in first place in that division. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happens to be Tampa Bay right now, who is 6-7 six and seven, uh, with a 6-7 uh, and seven with a 462 win percentage. You've got the Carolina Panthers, who are 5-8 and eight, uh, with a 385 win percentage. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who are 5-8 and eight with a 385 win percentage. And the New Orleans Saints, who are 4-9 and nine with a 308 win percentage. So literally... Carolina and Atlanta, for as bad as they are, mm-hmm. are still in contention and could possibly win this division. Yeah, there's a chance. Let that sink in for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then you literally try telling me the Brady still got it. I'm sorry. He is definitely on that decline. He might want to play next season. I could see him signing one day and retiring with the Patriots. Well, let's not forget that this is uh, a year removed from going 13-4. and four the year prior, uh, where the second-place team was the New Orleans Saints, who wasn't that – no, that wasn't Breeze's uh, final year. Uh was 9-8. and eight. Yeah, that's the whole point. When you have this big of a drop-off, this is pause for concern, especially when your quarterback is in his mid-40s. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get any better with him at the helm. I'm sorry. You're not getting the Tom Brady that is the legend of New England. No. You had a Super Bowl with him. Congratulations. Yeah. Nothing to be nothing to be shame about. That is what the job was bringing him in. It paid off. I mean, the numbers are certainly down. Uh, you look at his last last year in Tampa Bay. He had where are the touchdowns? There they are. Uh, Forty three touchdowns uh, and five thousand three hundred and sixteen yards passing. Uh, the year prior, which was his first year in Tampa Bay, that'd be twenty twenty. He had forty touchdowns and four thousand six hundred and thirty three yards. You, you even look at his last year in New England. Which let's face it, that receiving core was. Not good. Yeah. Uh, he had 24 touchdowns and 4,057 yards. Uh, you know, and so for this year, up through where we currently record after week, what are we in, 14? Uh, this is week 14. Uh, Brady has got uh, 17 touchdowns uh, and then 3,585 yards passing, which is, listen, he might, he, he'll probably get to 4,000. You know, but he ain't going to get anywhere near his, uh, some of those numbers from the last uh, couple years in, in uh, Tampa Bay. Absolutely not. It's not going down. No. No matter how you want to try spinning it, it's not going to happen. And if they have to run into the 49ers again in the playoffs, it's going to go the same way. Yeah. Mark my words. But what else can you really say about the 49ers? They're playing with yeah. that kind of Cinderella feel to them a little yeah. bit. 
And they definitely have some interesting games to close out with. Yeah, so the uh, 49ers have the Seattle Seahawks this upcoming Thursday. Uh, that game is in Seattle. That's going to be a good game. Oh, yeah, it will be. Uh, and then they've got the Washington Commanders on, bum, 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 bum. on uh, Christmas Eve. Then they've got the Las Vegas Raiders. That is in Vegas. And then they've got the Arizona Cardinals to close out the year. That game also to be determined on uh, time. Well, I don't think they're going to get flexed because of what happened with Arizona. Well, I don't think you get really flexed. I mean, it's just a matter of they got to figure out where they're going to put them. Yeah, that's... Uh, I think I think the games that are they might sprinkle some of the meaningful games, you know, early, but I they'll a lot of them will probably just get put early uh, on the early slide, uh, slate. And I think that this one will be an early four o'clock game. Probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking at anything special about it. Yeah. But I am looking at the special team, and that's the 49ers who had an impressive win. Yeah, and then you got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have the Cincinnati Bengals this upcoming Sunday. Then they've got the Arizona Cardinals. That is on uh, Christmas Day, or should I say Christmas night. Uh, that's the Sunday night game at eight on NBC. Then they've got the Carolina Panthers on New Year's Day. Uh, and then they have the Atlanta Falcons uh, to close out the regular season. So they might sneak in the playoffs, but don't expect Brady to have a deep run. I mean, they'll make the playoffs just because, listen, you know, you look at uh, – you got the Carolina Panthers who, I'll be honest, ever since they let go of Baker Mayfield, I couldn't tell you who their starting quarterback is. You know, I, I don't see Atlanta making a run there because they just benched Marcus Mariota for their, their rookie there. Uh, I forget the guy's name. You know, so I don't see either of them making a run. So, I mean, log- so by default, Tampa Bay is going to make it. But also, you still look at the playoff standings. They're still, you know, because they're one of the division leaders and just because of the way the standings work, they would be facing Dallas in the first round. Yeah, which, depending on how Dallas shows up, you never know how that game might go, to be honest with you. I mean, that's that's the kind of trick of all tricks. But there are more games to discuss, though, Pat. Yeah, so uh, then we got to talk about uh, a game you and I both had uh, as one of our locks, and that would be the Kansas City Chiefs to defeat the Denver Broncos, which... Yeah, they did. Uh, by the final score of 34-28, to 28, Patrick Mahomes, 28-42 of 42 for 352 yards passing, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, and then Russell Wilson. Let's uh, ride. Tw- well, let's ride to a concussion. 23-36 uh, of 36 for 247 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, also, Russell Wilson led Denver in uh, rushing with four carries, 57 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Isaiah Pacheo uh, led Kansas City in rushing, 13 carries, 70 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Jarek McKinnon uh, led Kansas City in receiving seven catches, 112 yards, two touchdowns. And then Jerry Judy led Denver with uh, receiving eight catches, 73 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, and also a tease and peace to Russell Wilson because holy fuck the shot he took. Yeah. And the photo I saw maybe about an hour or so after it happened and the goose egg size lump he had on his forehead after he took the helmet off after that hit. Yikes. One thing to know about this rivalry is it is not for the squeamish. No, it's not. These two teams have had a very, very noteworthy history. I, I wouldn't say they necessarily hate each other, but like they're certainly not going to pull any punches. No, this is definitely, I would say, the second big rivals between both. Sure. I mean, I mean maybe, sure. maybe you have to think, because I always think the Raiders have a bigger precedence against both teams. Yeah. But yeah. nevertheless, this was a hard-hitting game. A real test for Patrick Mahomes. Three interceptions is something I would say not his best performance, to put mildly. Right. But Denver got up for this game. No matter how bad they are, it's still division. So you always have to kind of factor that in. Russell Wilson definitely did all he could do to win this game until he got hurt. And then they just kind of fell apart a little bit because yeah. Kansas City does what Kansas City does best. Yeah. 
They they scored, although admittedly you had Patrick Mahomes had what was it like two interceptions and a half for the first time in his career, yeah. which is wild. Yeah, he definitely got pressured, and I don't think he was ready for what Denver was throwing at him. No, which hey, if Denver's got a bright spot, you know, in this garbage season they've had, yeah, the defense ain't bad. The defense has been substantial. Yeah, not serviceable, great, serviceable, but it hasn't been anything to write home about. But they did step up for this game, so at least it made the game entertaining. I will say that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Kansas City got a win over a lesser team, which no matter if it's division or not, they're still a lesser team, and Kansas City found a way to win. Now, in comparison to like how Dallas played, right? Dallas <laughs> took them too lightly. Kansas City never did. No. Because, I mean, dropping 21 on them in the second quarter, they definitely were applying a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. Is just that second half, Denver made enough adjustments to really give Patrick Mahomes fits. Well, that's any given Sunday. Right. And they almost blew this game, too. I mean, yeah. We have to remember that. Yeah. Denver was in this until what happened with Russell Wilson. Yeah, which, hey, again, tease and piece. Uh, mm-hmm. And I looked, he is currently in, uh, almost a COVID protocol. Uh, he is in concussion protocol. Although, let's be honest, Denver, you're eliminated from the playoffs. And you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players uh, on the injury report today as we record. One of them being on injured reserve. That's your running back, Mike Boone. The other six are all questionable. Just shut him down for the year. Yeah. Like, like what the fuck are you going to gain by having him try to come back for the final four games when you're out of it? Yeah, there's no point. He's He's got his money. You know, you're not going to be – you can't – you're not worried about him going somewhere in the offseason as a free agent. You know what you got. Let him rehab. Let him get a head start on rehab. Whatever issues he's got going on, if he's got any sort of injuries or something nagging him, let him get an early start on it and come back You know, next season fully healthy. And then just look at what else you got with the team. Mm-hmm. You're, you're eliminated. There's no point in rushing him back. No, there's absolutely no point. So Denver should just be looking at the offseason. Kansas City, though, definitely had to have this win because obviously they want to try getting the first seed in the playoffs. Yeah. For the AFC. And Although it'll be a little tough. They need some stumbling from Buffalo because Buffalo currently has the number one seed in the AFC. And that, that despite the identical records, that's because of a head-to-head uh, right. matchup. Yeah, so it's going to be playoff football from here on out for both teams, Buffalo mm-hmm. and Kansas City. But looking at Kansas City's schedule, if they really want to get that home field advantage, Ooh. which I feel they need to win. I'm not saying this because I'm a Bills fan. No, I agree. But I think Kansas City struggles when they got to travel. Have they had uh, a playoff game outside? And I'm not talking Super Bowl. Have they had a playoff game outside of their home stadium in Patrick Mahomes' career? Maybe one. Maybe one. Maybe one. It's it's a small number. Uh, but they do not have an easy schedule, that is for sure. Uh, so this upcoming Sunday, they're playing the Texans down in Houston. Then they've got a home game against the Seattle Seahawks on Christmas Eve. They've got a home game against the Denver Broncos on uh, New Year's Day. And then the final game of the year is against the Las Vegas Raiders in Vegas. Woof. Well, two of those games definitely stand out, Seattle and Vegas. Uh-huh. Denver without Russell Wilson, I don't know. I mean, I do expect them to give him a challenge, but yeah. I don't expect a lot from that game. Yeah. And then, obviously, Houston is Houston. Uh, and then for Denver, just because I'll be fair, uh, good God almighty. Uh, have fun with this last four games, folks. Listen to this one. So this upcoming Sunday, they've got the Arizona Cardinals. Mm. And after that, they've got a road game playing the Rams. Uh, that is on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. You get to go to the Rams. Uh, and then after that, on New Year's Day, they play the Kansas City Chiefs. And then they've got a home game against the Los Angeles Chargers uh, to close out the regular season. And the Chargers game could always be oh. 50-50. That could always be 50-50. Oh, gee, that's a rough stretch. It's a rough stretch, especially for a team that is not good. No, it's not. No. So Kansas City, though, they got the work cut out for them. Denver, uh, thanks for showing up. Yeah. Just, just get to the end of the season already. Broncos country. 
uh, get get well soon. Let's ride. Uh, and then we got to talk about one of your leaps, which was the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Baltimore Ravens, which they did not, uh, but which Baltimore won by the final score of 16 to 14. Uh, Tyler Huntley, 8 of 12 for 88 yards passing. Wait, seriously? Wow. Yeah. Uh, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, Anthony Brown, whoever the hell that guy is, also got into the game. Uh, three, three of five for 16 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Two quarterbacks from Baltimore, even not named Lamar Jackson, uh, under 100 yards passing. Wow. Uh, and then you had uh, Maserati Mitchell Trubisky, 22 of 30 for 276 yards passing, one touchdown, three interceptions. Uh, Najee Harris led Pittsburgh for rushing, 12 carries, 33 yards, one touchdown. J.K. Dobbins uh, making his return for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, led with uh, 15 carries, 120 yards, one touchdown. God damn. Uh, you had Demarcus Robinson lead Baltimore for receiving five catches, 52 yards, no touchdowns. And then Deontay Johnson led for Pittsburgh in receiving six catches, 82 yards, no touchdowns. And the one thing we have to note, Kenny Pickett was pulled from this game uh, into concussion protocol. Super fucking early, apparently, because he only had one attempt. Yeah, it was early in the first quarter, and he like tried coming back out, and then they pulled him out again. And uh, reading off the injury report for the Pittsburgh Steelers on ESPN.com, uh, this is according to uh, Teresa Varley of the Steelers' official website. Uh, quote, Head coach Mike Tomlin said Tuesday that Pickett remains in the concussion protocol and added that the quarterback's participation in practice this week will be critical in guiding a decision for his status for the Sunday's game at Carolina. Well, I would not rush him back. No. I mean, let's face it, Baltimore or Pittsburgh season... You would need a lot of luck to make yeah. a run. Uh, currently last place in the uh, AFC North. Yeah, so like I say, you would need a lot of chips to fall in your favor. Yeah, and currently, wow, uh, they're two spots away from being eliminated uh, because you've got the Texans and Broncos beneath them who have all been eliminated. Then they've got the Colts who are not eliminated, and then the Steelers. Yeah, so I I don't see any point of rushing back. No. You're, you know, your future because Pickett is going to be your future. Yeah, if, you know, if he's the guy. If he is the guy. Which, I mean, he was on a good progression until this injury. Yeah. So I would say wait and see. I wouldn't rush anything back. And just you're unfortunately going to have to take an L for the season. It yeah. is what it is. It is what it is. The team was in a rebuilding phase to begin with. So the fact that you were contending with teams is a big takeaway. Is this going to be Tomlin's first losing season? Because I know he had that run for a while where he had never had a losing season. I believe so. It might. If it's not his first, it might be his second. Yeah, like he. Well, that's the one thing with the Steelers; they don't panic. The one I will give credit to that franchise. The culture they have down there is they don't collapse everything mm-hmm. and think the sky is falling. If you have one bad season, if it starts progressing more, then they will make a swift decision. Sure, sure. But I think for this season, they understand what happened, and obviously with this game, the fact the Steelers were still in this mm-hmm. after losing Pickett, yeah, is very telling. The only thing I would say is you can really tell that Pittsburgh is not the Pittsburgh of old. This is a Baltimore team led by Tyler Huntley, mm-hmm. not Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they jumped out to you early, 13-7 to 7 at half. Yep. I, it is what it is. I mean, that's the, the thing with Steelers football right now. Tyler Huntley um, in his third season out of Utah. Yes. So he, we obviously know that he is the backup. He is just trying to hold on until Lamar Jackson can come back from right. a knee injury. Right. This is a situation that... 
Pittsburgh could have snuck one out there, but they didn't. And it's nothing against Trubisky is just not clicking down in Pittsburgh. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not happening. Uh, and I feel bad because he needs that Buffalo cold weather. He needs it. He needs to be the backup. He needs those uh, needs those wings. Exactly. And the tables. Oh, uh, that's right. Sorry, wrong team, but I just it, that's the kind of the knee jerk reaction because I would love to see Trubisky back as the number two in Buffalo. Because when he comes in, he closes games. It's it's a proven fact. But in this situation, he couldn't come out and close. And Baltimore, listen, kudos to them for winning a gritty game. You know when we talk about division games, too, Pittsburgh and Baltimore will forever be the rivalry in the AFC North. Mm -hmm. No matter how bad these teams are, they will definitely show out, and they did. And this was a fun game to watch, albeit, though, it was not with the star players. Right. So we got what we got out of it. Baltimore sneaks away with a much-needed win. And then we kind of go from there with the schedules because there really isn't a lot to write home about with this one. No. Uh, so looking at the schedule for the Baltimore Ravens, they've got the Cleveland Browns this upcoming Saturday. Uh, and then they've got the Atlanta Falcons on Christmas Eve. Then they've got the Pittsburgh Steelers on uh, uh, New Year's Day. Uh, and then they've got the Cincinnati Bengals on the road uh, to close out the regular season. And then for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have got the Carolina Panthers uh, this upcoming Sunday. Then they've got the Las Vegas Raiders on Christmas Eve, the Baltimore Ravens on New Year's Day, and then the the Cleveland Browns uh, to close out the regular season. So it's going to be an interesting time to see how this all plays out for Baltimore. Pittsburgh just got to make it through the end of the season. Yep. All right, that being said, Pat, let's take a lap around the league and close this out. Yeah, so for the Thursday game, you had the Los Angeles Rams make a stunning comeback uh, win behind the newly signed Baker Mayfield uh, and beat the Las Vegas Raiders 17-16. to Ugh, bad game for the Raiders. Uh, collapsed late in that fourth quarter, if memory serves me right. Something like that, yeah. But for Baker Mayfield, the redemption story for one week, yeah. which, listen, it's a feel-good story. I'm not going to take anything away from that. Mm-hmm. But obviously... The Raiders have not been playing up to their potential this season. It is what it is. And moving forward, Baker is not going to be the guy, but if he can get him to 500, I guess that's the plan for the rest of the season. Oh, yeah, he's going to be the guy for the rest of the season. I don't think they'll bring back uh, Stafford. And and there's been some rumblings that Stafford may or may not come back next year, so this could be a tryout period for Baker You know, because his deal is up at, at the end of the year. So this is essentially your tryout, Baker, so good luck. Yeah, definitely make the most of the opportunity. And if you're going to be the face of the L.A. Rams, I'm, I mean, maybe the change of scenery will help him. Yeah. I don't know. But warm, for, warm California air. But I'm going to say this. I'm not ready to crown him the franchise and, you know, oh, Baker's back. No. This was a win against a bad team, especially late in that fourth quarter. They, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, they were up, I want to say it was five minutes left in that game. Something like that. It was something crazy like that. But that's just when I'm watching the highlights. I'm like, wow, is this happening? Right. But then again, the Raiders' season has been a little subpar. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, you had the Buffalo Bills beat to the New York Jets by the final score of 20-12. to 12. Okay. I want to address something. Uh-oh. For all the sports media that was sitting and questioning the Bills' offense, and especially the one reporter who said something post-game to Josh mm-hmm. about this team is not a Super Bowl offensive ready or, or they're not ready for the right. Super Bowl with this offense. Hmm. And I love Josh's answer. Okay. And that was it. <laughs> I love it because... File that one away? Exactly. The situation here, and we have said this, and I think I've said this multiple times, the Jets' defense is going to give any team they face in the playoff fits. Did I or did I not call it the first time they came and played Buffalo? You the, did. The Jets were going to win. You, you said there was a chance. There was a chance because that defense yeah. is nasty. Yeah, you did. And that defense 
held Buffalo in check again. Mm-hmm. But kudos to the Bills for finding for finding a way to win. See, I'm trying not to get too wound up because for everybody that's writing them off for dead because they only put up 20 points against a Jets team that is in the playoffs as it stands right now, mm-hmm. I thought was very, very insulting. I mean, that whole game up until halftime was fucking garbage. It was a snooze fest. It was garbage because the Bills didn't score until, what? Like late in thir- the second. Thir- late, like late in the second, 30 seconds left before yeah. halftime or something. You know, so there was a chance this game was going to go to halftime scoreless, and then they figured shit out, and people started scoring in the second half. Well, right, because the teams were very evenly matched on the defensive side of the ball, and especially for the Jets, you really don't know what you have with Mike White yet. Like, you have an idea. You got a fractured rib at the least. But I will give him credit. Came back out there and tried winning at all costs. God damn. And if you're the Jets... That's the guy you rally on. Well, that, I saw the hit he took early in the game. Yeah, from Milano? From Milano, where it was the shot to the chin, and, and he left. I'm like, oh, there's no fucking way he's coming back. Right. And then later in the day, I found I was reading a thing about how he came back twice. I was like, what the fuck is this guy made of? Yeah, no, this guy wants to win for this team. And if you're if you're a Jets fan, this is the guy you rally on. Like, does he have the potential to be good? Maybe. Yes. I No, I, I'm fully sold. He does have that potential. You need to get him more weapons, and I will say that uh, Bam Knight and you know when they get Brees Hall back, yeah. that's going to be a nasty one-two punch at the running back position. Wide receiver, I would definitely go find somebody in this offseason. Yeah, I know Corey Davis was injured, and you know he really had a shutdown game. This, or he didn't really was a factor this game. Oh uh, yeah, but if they can get some more weapons around him. They could make a real difference. I'm not saying they're going to take the division, mm-hmm. but they'll be a factor, and I guarantee you this. The Jets will be a problem for anybody they face in the playoffs. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's Buffalo. Doesn't matter if, it, if it's Kansas City. That defense is very, very nasty. Right. And they're not afraid to punch a team in the mouth. And they definitely gave the Bills all they could handle. This was not a pretty game by any stretch of the imagination, like Pat alluded to. Mm-hmm. The first half was a snooze fest because the Bills couldn't figure anything out, and Josh looked a little lost. However, though, he did find a way to win. The second half was much improved, and they definitely capitalized on those improvements. So for anybody to sit there and say, oh, Buffalo's not ready for the playoffs, they're 10-3. and three. They're the number one seed in the AFC. Relax. They'll be fine. And I hope that the press clip say, is saved somewhere because when the Bills make a run in the playoffs and if they do get the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl, I hope they bring this up and use it as bulletin board material. Oh, I fear for the team they're playing this upcoming Sunday, which I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, Saturday, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I fear for that team because they might get 40 or 50 dropped on them, weather permitting. Mm-hmm. Next up, though. Uh, you had the Cle- uh, Cincinnati Bengals beat the Cleveland Browns 23-10. to uh, not really surprised at this one. I mean, Cleveland and Cincinnati have always had a good division rivalry. Yeah. Uh, but this one, Deshaun Watson, not impressed with the performance? Uh, no, 276, uh, one touchdown. So, hey, at least better than last week. But Im- Improving, but yeah. c- but Cincinnati is clicking right now at the right time. Jamar Chase, 10 catches, 119, one touchdown. Yo. Exactly. So they're getting good at the right time. I know that we said the Super Bowl hangover was in full effect. I'm glad it's wore off for them. Yeah, I will say something tells me they, they drank a little uh, orange juice and they're feeling better. Yeah, they're definitely imp- much improved, and they're going to be a scary team in those playoffs. 
You had the Detroit Lions beat the Minnesota Vikings 34-23. to Detroit has a chance to make the playoffs. Detroit is currently, I think, uh, they're on the outside looking in because the Giants are the seventh seed. Seattle is behind them, and then you've got the Lions. Yes. So if they play their cards right, they could sneak in. And uh, their last four games, they've got the Jets, Panthers, Bears, and Packers. So they could, they could win at least three of those. They could win three. This week against the Jets is going to be a tougher challenge, but it's going to be a great offense against a great defense. That's literally what's coming down to. Ah, man, who would have ever thought Detroit would ha- would be this important this late? Uh, not me. I'm telling you what, it, it's going to be a, a kudo to them if they can get sneak in there. I'd love to yeah. see it because I, I really like what Dan Campbell has done with this team. Just their defense just can't close. That's been mm-hmm. their only hiccup this season. It's a shame, too. Yeah. Uh, then you had the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Tennessee Titans 36-22. to Oh, my God. Jacksonville might make the playoffs. There is a chance. There is a chance. There is a chance. They are Well, that's a long shot because you've got the Patriots in the seventh seed. Then you've got the Chargers, Jets, and then the Jaguars. So they need a lot of help. They need a lot of help unless they take that division. That's the only thing they, they, uh, they could do, which yeah. I mean, if luck plays on the other side. And we also have to make note, Christian Kirk, five catches, 45 yards. <laughs> Uh, you had the Philadelphia Eagles put a whooping on the, the New York Football Giants uh, by the final score of forty-eight to twenty-two. Giants fans, how are you feeling? Oh my God, I, I think the dream is over. Cinderella's uh, left the party. Looks like the clock has hit midnight. Yeah, this team is not ready for prime time. The carriage is a pumpkin. Absolutely abysmal performance. That defense did not look good at at all, and Philly looked like the number one seed. Mm-hmm. We talk about elite teams defeating lesser teams. This really made the Giants look like a five and seven team instead of a seven and five team. Yeah, like or seven and four team. Like legitimately, this was bad. And if the Giants think they're going to make a run in the playoffs, I don't know. After this performance, I don't see how you can have any confidence. I yeah. really don't. Uh, you had the Carolina Panthers beat the Seattle Seahawks thirty to twenty four. Did not see this one going this route. Uh, neither did I. So good win for Carolina, though I will yeah. say Seattle definitely needed this win, so I think that hurts them a lot more than they realize. Yep, they'll have to wait to see how this all shakes up. Uh, you had the Los Angeles Chargers beat the Miami Dolphins twenty-three to seventeen. The one time I need the Chargers to come through, they do. Mm. So I was happy to see this as a Bills fan. Uh, for the Chargers, though, they definitely had their hands full. Yeah, Miami gave them all they could. Tyreek Hill, though. Playing hurt, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is going to be a lingering injury moving forward, but he definitely hurt, did something to his shin. He could not run as fast for a long stretch of time. Sure. Albeit, though, when he needed to, he definitely did, especially that fumble recovery. He ran for 50-some-odd yards. He looked great there, but he definitely hurt his legs somewhere. So according to the injury report for the Miami Dolphins, he is, as we record, listed as questionable, and it says Hill, ankle, was listed as a limited participant on Tuesday's estimated practice report. Daniel uh, Oyefsi of the Miami Herald reports. Yeah, so if he's not 100% ready to go, it's going to be a long day for the for the Dolphins in Buffalo because mm-hmm. especially it's going to be a lot of snow, uh-huh. and I'm here for this. Mm-hmm. I know there's one uh, person that is not going to be here for this, um, but we'll still talk to him about football uh, because I, I, I had this game circled on the calendar since the abysmal performance in Miami. Well, and also, hey, Dolphins, hi, how you doing? Yeah. How big a bunch of fucking pansies are you? There was a story that came out uh, from the folks at Syracuse.com, which it's a newspaper uh, website up in Syracuse, New York. How about how the Miami now the weather in uh, Los Angeles on Sunday for this game? Where mind you, it's in a dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, was fifty five degrees? 
which you and I, this time of year, uh, spoiler alert, folks, I'm looking at my watch. Currently, as we record, it's 23 degrees where, yep. we, where we record. It's fucking 55 degrees. I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt yeah. this time of year. Miami Dolphins, they were using propane heaters. <laughs> in, in What? In Los Angeles, in 55-degree weather, they were using propane heaters on the sidelines. Oh, man. Folks, I'm going to pull up the schedule for this upcoming uh, Sunday slate of games on Sunday, just to get the, just to get the latest uh, weather report information for the wonderful city that is uh, Buffalo, New York. Where the heck are they? Uh, it's on the Saturday, so there they are. Saturday slate of games, eight fifteen. Uh, this is according to AccuWeather.com. Uh, snow is in the forecast for the folks up in Buffalo, and game time weather, thirty two degrees. So y'all motherfuckers were using propane heaters in an indoor facility in 55-degree weather, and y'all are about to be outdoor with snow on the ground, because I'm willing to bet they still got a decent amount of snow from that snowstorm a couple weeks ago. Mm. And it's going to be fucking 30 degrees. Yeah. You're going to freeze. I'm here for this. I'm so here for this. I know I'm going to be talking with not only one in particular Dolphins fan, but I'm going to be talking with a few And, uh, yeah, we'll see how this all plays out. But the colder, the better. Bring it on for Saturday Mm -hmm. night. I can't wait. And then one last game. we got to talk about the Monday night game, which was the New England Patriots who beat the Arizona Cardinals by the final score of 27-13. to Well, we do have to give a shout-out to Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, we do, uh, because there was a moment during the game where uh, Patriots wide receiver Devontae Parker made a catch. Got tackled, went to the ground pretty hard, and then came up very visibly dazed and didn't quite know where the hell he was. Couldn't get set. Now, there are supposed to be individuals in the stadium keeping an eye for this sort of thing for the NFL and and telling them the refs wouldn't stop the game because, hey, check that guy. He might have a concussion. Mm -hmm. They missed this one. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, another one of the Patriots wide receivers, realized what was going on. Got the refs' attention and on the field, and they stopped the game uh, and pulled uh, Devontae Parker from the game, which it turned out he did have a concussion. So yeah. the NFL is going to be looking into the handling of this because the spotters they have for this, which you know have been given extra scrutiny since the Tua situation earlier this year, uh, dropped the ball on this one. Yeah, this is definitely very scary. So kudos to Aguilar for catching that. Yeah, because that is no joke. No, and I'm I'm so glad he caught him in time. So definitely kudos to that. Yeah. Uh, that game was though, like you say, it was very, very cursed. Uh, very cursed because what was it? Then you had Kyler Murray on the third play from scrimmage uh, go down, and it is a ACL tear, so he's out for the rest of this year. And the Lord knows how much into next year. So you had Colt McCoy step in. Colt McCoy did serviceable, you know, two forty six, no touchdowns, one interception. You know, just that offensive line was getting eaten alive all night by the Patriots defense. I mean, six sacks. Uh, on Colt McCoy from the Patriots defense. Good Lord. Yeah. And also, holy fuck, you know, the the number of penalties and stupid penalties that Arizona was getting during the game. Uh, they had eight penalties for, and this, mind you, this is accepted penalties for 48 yards. And a, and a lot of them weren't like, oh, false start. Oh, pass interference. Oh, holding. No, it was like illegal. There was at least two or three, maybe even four illegal shifts. Yeah. Where, where wide receivers or somebody else would not be set before the play was, it was just, they were like a Troy Aikman during the game was even going, this, like, this is a dumb penalty. Like you're professionals. How are you? Why are you doing this? Yeah. There was a lot of really questionable stuff going on there. So, you know, you got to take a real fine look at how everything yeah. was shaping up there. Cause it was just messy. Like that's yeah. the easiest way to describe it. It was just messy. Yeah. Uh, and then Matthew Judon second half. And then where was the other one? It was uh, Josh Uche had at least one, maybe two uh, sacks himself, which goddamn. 
Or no, he had three sacks on the night. That's right. Josh Uche had three sacks for the Patriots. It was a good, fun game to watch. Definitely a fun game to watch, and definitely a lot of headlines coming out of this week's NFL action. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about the week that was at week 14 of the NFL? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial, or well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod and check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to recap one of the more interesting nights mm-hmm. of UFC action in recent memory, mm-hmm. and I don't think for all the right reasons. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, so let's talk about this, Pat. What went down? Uh, yeah, so this was UFC 282 taking place uh, this past Saturday from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, where there was a reported attendance of 18,455,000, mm-hmm. a gate of reportedly $4.4 million. Eat at AEW. <laughs> uh, uh, Get them. Uh, you had a couple. Good to talk about a couple of the fights. Uh, one of which on let or excuse me, main evented the preliminary card on ESPN two slash ESPN plus, uh, and that was against Raul Rosas Jr. and Jay uh, Perrin. Perrin, uh, where you had Raul Rosas Jr. Uh, defeat Jay Perrin via face crank submission. Now noteworthy about this fight, this was. Uh, Rosas Jr.'s first fight in, I guess you could call the main event, the main level of UFC. Yep. He did have a previous fight with the UFC on the Contender Series. That was back in September, uh, where he won by unanimous decision. Uh, then he had this main main debut, I guess you could say. Uh, of note, I saw a little thing. Uh, can't dig it up and find out. He's at least the youngest, if not tied for the youngest, win in UFC history because, uh, folks, he just turned 18 uh, a couple months ago. His birthday's on October 8th. Uh, he was born in the year 2004, which makes me feel fucking old. Yeah, uh, you're telling me. So he just turned 18. He's like, he folks, he's not even 18 and a half. He's like 18 in, like, percentage points. Uh, so kudos to this kid. Uh, career record now, 7-0. and Made a big statement on a big spotlight profile matchup and goddamn that face crank looked like it hurt yeah the fact that he got a face crank on especially at that angle he did because he was pressed up against the cage on yeah. Perrin's back and then yeah. cranked the hell out of it 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 was an instant tap like Perrin had nothing to defend it and it's no shame against it but it's just he was going down and just Rosas just completely got the good angle on it and I love the one video I saw which was a family watch party uh his family was having watching the fight 
they were more subdued than the crowd in Vegas was because I saw the Vegas reaction where everyone's like jumping up and down and waving the Mexican flag because he's from Mexico. You know, the family, they were cheering and they were happy, but it's like you'd expect them jumping up and down, fist bumping. Yeah, and it's like they're applauding, applauding going, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I expected, you know, hey, kudos, you got your kid got a win, but I was expecting a little more excitement out of you. Well, you know, the thing was they probably were expecting him to just win in dominant fashion. You know, Pro- like, you I, know I'm, probably. like I'm sure that they were probably like they're super happy, but I think – it was a little cautious too because obviously being 18 years old and you're on the UFC, you're main eventing the prelims. Yeah. This is pressure on anybody, let alone yeah. an 18 year old kid that just was on the contender series. And, and you're not exactly behind a paywall. You're on cable television. Yeah, which a lot of attention was put on him. A lot. Yeah. So the fact he stepped up in the spotlight and won in dominant fashion like this. Yeah. Big move for the UFC. I have no idea what they do with him next. I think we'll see him back in the cage in a few months, maybe. I I would say they'll probably give him some time to really develop and really hone his skills a little more. But I'm telling you what, you, we talk about the next big thing. I'm not ready to crown him, but right. seeing how he handled himself in this spotlight, I definitely would say I feel more comfortable pending on what, ha- what he does next. Mm-hmm to see that maybe we have a star on our hands. Maybe. Looking at the rankings on UFC.com slash rankings uh, in the bantamweight division, because that is the uh, weight division he fights in, currently not ranked. Uh, they, they list that 1 through 15, so probably right outside the top 15, I'd say. I'd say maybe one more fight, one more noteworthy fight, he might crack crack that top 15 status. We'll see. Yeah, I would say you, you can't have him crack the top 15. Like, I understand that we're, we live in a weird day and age where if fighters are charismatic enough, they get bumped up the rankings really fast this is a situation let him simmer in the lower tier of the division for right now because he could definitely rise through those ranks very quickly if he stays on task it just depends on his age and maturity of being at this level in this profile right now because if you really start believing your own hype right that train can go off the tracks very very quickly we have seen this time and time again in the ufc especially Mm mm-hmm so I think they just got to play it smart, him, his camp, and just really keep him grounded and really get him ready for his next fight. And I would say I would push it to April, May. Yeah, I understand yeah. it's a long time, but I would really let this kid heal up. I mean, we don't need to have everybody be Donald Cerrone. Yeah, this is true. And especially at his age. Yeah, you, you don't want to ruin him too early. No, definitely not. So I definitely think he's got to get his camp, really have him focused and really learning his skills. Because when he starts getting into that deeper water, of that division, mm-hmm. he's got to be ready to go. Yeah, You can't exactly throw him in there and say, okay, best of luck, kid. Also got to mention uh, this fight was over at 2 minutes and 44 seconds of the first round, so not not exactly a long, drawn-out contest. No, especially a lot of the prelims were very quick finishes. I, I know Rosenstruck defeated Dukakis in, what, 23 seconds? Uh, yeah, 23 seconds. You had uh, up until the uh, – you had a string of, of early submissions because uh, the first fight on the pre-prelim cards, that's the ESPN Plus the UFC Fight Pass, that first one went TKO. Then you had a submission uh, win, TKO, uh, uh, to close out the early preliminary card. Then the prelims, you had knockout, 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 submission. Then you And then you got into the main event. So there was a string of fights where, like, this was over quick. Yeah, and I believe that Dana White actually gave the performance of the night 
to everybody who had a finish on this card. Yeah, uh, so uh, looking on the, the Wikipedia page for UFC 282, it lists performance of the night to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine folks. Uh, so I'm willing to bet uh, that was everybody who got a, a TKO yeah. or a finish. As they should. Yeah, no, that, that, I've never seen that many performance of the night bonuses. I haven't either. Wow. So I'm glad he. I'm glad he did it because I know the fight was definitely going in the right, or the the card was going in the right trajectory mm-hmm. until we got to the main card. Right, and then, well, I should say until we got to the main events. Yeah, but there still is some noteworthy headlines coming out yeah. from the start of the or the main card, though, Pat. Yeah, so the first fight on the main card was in the featherweight division, where you had Ilya Topuria uh, defeat Bryce Mitchell via submission and uh, arm triangle choke, specifically at three minutes and ten seconds of the second round. Absolutely wild. I did not see this fight going this way. I, th- I thought if Bryce Mitchell got him on the ground, it was going to be a, a wrap. But Dupria, he looked great. He looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. And nothing against Bryce Mitchell, but it was like he understood he needed to make a big splash. Mm-hmm. And I definitely thought he did the right thing. Right. So now the question is, where does he go from here? I think you got to put him in around, you know, like that. Well, let's see. Bryce Mitchell was the number ninth ranked fighter, I believe, at the and time. And still is on I, on the UFC.com slash rankings. It looks like that division's rankings haven't been updated yet because Bryce Mitchell's still listed as nine. Topuria still listed as 14. I wouldn't doubt that they get flipped. Probably. Just, just on how that is. Or, Probably. Or, or Mitchell goes down to 12. I could see that happening. But I do see Topuria crack in the top 10. I would say you'd have to give him somebody maybe uh, – Korean uh, Zombies right there at six. I, I don't know if you bump him up that high, though. Like That would be a great fight, though. I could definitely see uh, Yusuf down in the, the yeah. number eleven ranking. Yeah. I think that would make a lot more sense. Yeah, but I but depends. I mean, this kid really just went out of his way and and stole a spotlight, especially defeating Bryce Mitchell at his own game. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one thing that was absolutely crazy to to realize. Like this is back in the day when somebody would go to the ground with Jacare. Like you wouldn't get off the ground. You wouldn't right. survive. I'll say. Uh, and looking at uh, Mitchell's record, uh, the reason he beat him at his own game, nine of his fifteen wins are by submission. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was a real test, but it's like, I'm telling you, man, this is going to be something to watch in that division, especially for a division that needs some star power added to it. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, depending on what Volkanovski does, mm-hmm. like, you really have to really take a look and say, okay, who's going to be the next one to really generate some buzz? Max can do it, obviously, in that top tier. Brian Ortega is up there. I know Arnold Allen is somebody they're really high on. Josh Emmett is kind of in that contender status. I don't know if he's going to make that jump. I know Yair Rodriguez is there, but I'm still not sold on him. Uh, you know, being somebody that can carry that division, right? That's just me personally. Um, but like I say, this is a great situation for somebody to make that jump. And I tell you what, Tupuri can definitely make that happen. Uh, next up was in the middleweight division, where he had Driscus Duplessis beat Darren Till via face crank submission at two minutes and forty three seconds of the third round. Crazy, the face crank was in high fashion, and it's not normally seen. No, it definitely isn't. I mean, what can you say about this, Darren Till? I mean, Darren Till at least looked more ready for a fight here, I guess, mm-hmm. after after being off for so long. But nothing really right home about with this one, honestly. This uh, it was tough, tough loss to see because I do like Darren Till, but. Right. Just not pulled off for him. But great win for Duplicis, though. Yeah. Uh, and then in the uh, next fight was a catchweight fight between Santiago. Uh, and I'm going to butcher this. Person name. Benino. Thank you. Uh, who defeated Alex uh, Morano uh, via TKO at uh, three, two minutes and 29 seconds of the third round. Ponzin Hibino. That's the proper okay. name, so I apologize okay. for that. But, yes, no, Santiago, remember this was the fight that they had to do the catchweight because Robbie right. Lawler had to pull out because of injury. So this one, no real shock here. Solid fight. 
uh, Morano. I give him all the credit in the world for taking on short notice. Yeah. And obviously, Santiago, good win for him. Yeah. Enough said. Uh, and then we get into the co-main event of the yeah. evening. <laughs> boy, oh, boy, here we go. Uh, this was in the lightweight division where you had Patty Plimblet. Pimblet uh, defeat, and I put that with an asterisk, uh, Jared Gordon via a unanimous decision, uh, 29-28, 29-28, and 29-28. All right. So this fight, I don't exactly know how the judges could score this. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't. This fight did not make a ton of sense to me on this. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to read off some of the stats, the measurements of going on here. Okay. So total strikes, uh, Pimblet. 97 of 194, Gordon 100 of 143. Significant strikes, Pimblet 63, uh, Gordon 58. Headshots, Pimblet had 33, Gordon 30. Mm-hmm. Body shots, 13 for Pimblet, 14 for Gordon. 17 leg kicks for Pimblet, 14 for Gordon. Control, point 35 seconds for Pimblet. Mm-hmm. Six minutes and 28 for Gordon. Three takedowns for Gordon. Zero for Pimblet and zero sub attempts. I've got the uh, scorecards pulled up in front of me. Uh, this is from the UFC.com website. Uh, they do post all of the scorecards uh, after the fight is over. So you, all you got to do is Google search UFC 282 scorecards and then look for the UFC.com link. Uh, you had the pink judge, who was Ron McCarthy, give rounds one and two to Patty Plimblet, uh, 10-9, and then gave the third round to Jared Gordon. Uh, then you had uh, the blue judge, uh, who was Chris Lee, give the first round to Jared Gordon, 10-9, and then gave rounds two and three to Patty, 10-9, so 29-28. And then you had uh, the white judge, Doug Crosby, who we'll get to in just a minute, uh, give the first two rounds to Patty Plimblet, uh, 10-9, and then the final round to Jared Gordon, 10-9. Uh, for the final score, obviously, of 29-28. Do not agree with any of those. No, I would have said Gordon won rounds one and three. Pimblet, I thought, uh, I, he had a strong argument for two, so I, I'd, get, I'd give him that. But the problem is Gordon didn't do the wow factor to really kind of sell it. Sure. But he he won. I mean, he won outright. Like, I'm sorry. The fact that takedowns matter, they showed up. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation that the judges got it wrong. Mm-hmm. And we always say don't leave it in the hands of the judges, but this is one of the situations that it did, and it completely backfired. I don't understand how you can judge this. I really don't. I stand firmly in saying, in my opinion, this was Gordon's all day. Yeah, and a lot of people do, and you're going to have the Athletic Commission look at this uh, and look at Doug Crosby specifically uh, because reading from an article on MMAmania.com, article says, quote, it was a banner weekend for Doug Crosby, the longtime MMA mixed martial arts Judge came under fire for not one, but two scorecards over the last few days, starting with Danny Sabatello versus Rufian Stott's main event at Bellator 289 in uh, Uncasville, uh, and ending with the Patty Plimblet versus Jared Gordon co-headliner at UFC 282 in Las Vegas. Crosby scored Sabatello slots 50-45 in favor of Sabatello, uh, which made history on uh, December 9th as the first 50-45 scorecard ever recorded for a loser in the MMADecisions.com database. Hmm. Fellow judges Eric Colon and Brian Miner scored the contest 48-47 for Stotts, awarding Supa a split decision victory. The commission was not impressed. 
Uh, one judge, quote, one judge had Sabatella winning all five rounds, which is controversial. Mohegan Athletic Department Director of Athletics Mike uh, Mazzuli wrote uh, via MMA Fighting. But ultimately, Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. In an effort to make this a learning moment, I have informed all three judges we will be reviewing the fight together, close quote. Uh, check out our belt, and then they have a link for their uh, play-by-play. Also, their play-by-play also scored in favor of Stotts right here. Uh, quote, this is a very serious situation, he wrote. The Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department, which uh, always looks out for the best interests of all fighters. In the past, the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department has sanctioned officials uh, that are not performing to the level that is required. Such sanctions, when they occur, are not made public, close quote. Crosby then scored the Pimblet fight 29-28 in favor of the baddie the following night, despite the fact that 23 of the 24 media outlets providing UFC 282 results and play-by-play scored the bout in favor of Gordon. Also turning in a wrong decision scorecard was MMA, uh, and they put wrong in quotations, scorecard was MMA judge Ron McCarthy, son of veteran judge Big Mike, uh, Big John McCarthy. Uh, uh, so dude's in a little bit of uh, heat. I would definitely say so. I mean, this is something that's been unfortunately making some headway and tying into another story that has been going around about MMA fight fixing, if you will. Mm-hmm. So... This is something that I'm going to be reading from an article from Mark Romandi mm-hmm. from ESPN. And uh, where I was reading the uh, f- fighter stats there, ESPN MMA. Okay. So I want to just clarify that. But here is Romandi's article. So to quote, fight fixing is now a quote unquote huge concern for the UFC admit several investigations and suspicious into suspicious betting activity around about last month. UFC president Dana White told ESPN a November 5th UFC fight between Darek Minor and Shailen Nurendambiki, apologize for the name butchering, uh, is under scrutiny after a dramatic betting line movement in the hours before the event. Nevada State Athletic Commission has suspended both Miner and his coach, James Krause, who ran an MMA betting Discord page and podcast pending its investigation. So this is uh, when asked by ESPN's Brett Akimoto in an interview Thursday whether fight fixing is a concern. Dana White said, quote, huge concern. Now there's an investigation, and it could be possible that that happened. Yeah, end quote. So this is now becoming something that is taken on a life of its own. Yeah, and even got brought up. I'm going to play a little clip from uh, Ariel Hawani's uh, MMA Hour uh, podcast YouTube show that uh, aired on Monday. Uh, here's the quote. Here's the issue, and it once again was put in the spotlight this weekend. On Friday night. Oh, yeah. On Friday night, I'm watching Danny Sabatello versus Rafion Stotts. Rafion Stotts won that fight 48-47. I didn't see a lot of other people disagree, except for one. His name is Douglas Crosby. This guy should not be judging fights. He has too many conflicts. What he does time and again, I believe, this is my belief. This is not This is not now something that I have evidence, but this is my belief based on enough of his scorecards that I think he wants to be in such good graces with the promoters, because I know he loves Dana White, and I know he tries to curry favor with him. He tries to score fights based on what he thinks the promoter wants. So he scores it for Danny Sabatello because he thinks that that's the guy that they want. He scores it for Patty Pimblett. Now, we should also say the two other judges scored it for Patty as well. So he's not the only guy at fault. But I cannot believe in a time where our sport is being questioned, our integrity is being questioned, you're now going to fly and do a major UFC event? Time out. There are enough judges to do this where you could sit this one out and then he has another suspect when is this going to stop as i've said time and again 
These judges need to answer for these things. They don't. They need to be questioned. They are not. They need to be put in timeout. They are not. To get these dinosaurs who have conflicts and friendships and rivalries and enemies with fighters, active fighters, out of the sport, I don't believe that the UFC fixed that fight. I don't believe that. But I think so that he's sitting there thinking, hmm, let me score this for Patty because I want Dana White to like me. That's what I, was, I think is happening. Uh, so that uh, clip comes to us courtesy of uh, Ariel Helwani's official Twitter account. Uh, so obviously there's some issues going on with this judge that, listen, Ariel Helwani is one of, if not the best MMA journalist in the business. You know, say what you will about whether your own opinions about him. I think when it comes to some of this stuff, I think he hits the nail on the head more often than not. I agree, too. I mean, I think Helwani has been on point, too. And like we say, in looking at the Ramondi article from ESPN.com that I was reading the interview that Pad was playing too from Ariel Hawani. There is a lot of speculation going on with these fights. And when you see judging like you saw in the Pimblet fight, you really have to question it. And it's I hate saying this. I really do. But it's a situation that watching that fight, you gotta raise questions about. And I can understand, okay, we're fans and, and we're mad, you know, you, you don't like how the decision came out. But I think you can't just look away from this, especially now with all this other shenanigans going on outside. I mean, this is just going to be something that the the fights are going to be watching, and especially looking at this fight. I mean, this is a prime example. Like, how do you come up with this when the judging was so far off from everybody else? Like, it just doesn't add up. Uh, and you had a couple of fighters weigh in on uh, Doug Crosby specifically. Uh, Al Iaquinta, uh taking uh, tweeting about the, the Sabatella fight uh, specifically uh, a couple of days ago uh, on December 9th, saying, quote, uh, did Doug Crosby have it 50-45 for Sabatello? Question mark, exclamation point, LMAO, close quote. Uh, and then he, quote, tweeted uh, a, a photo or a tw- uh, tweet from MMA Fighting about the Sabatello fight with the, per- uh, the one account saying MMA scoring is wild, to which Al Iaquinta quoted it and said, to quote, Doug Crosby is always the odd judge out and by a large margin. He must have dirt on whatever high-ranking official sanctions these fights. Thinking emoji. Uh, no way he should be there, close quote. Uh, and then somebody replied to Al saying, quote, training at James Krause's gym would have been a better decision, close quote, to which Al Iaquinta said, since we're t- taking fixing fights, FBI should look into Doug Crosby, close quote. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, and then you also had, and I'm trying to dig up the uh, specific tweet, uh, Ben Askren also had said some stuff about uh, uh, Doug Crosby that uh, he was none too thrilled with either. Yeah, I mean, this is a situation that looking at that judging, you have to really take a hard stance and look, and you have to come up with your own decisions about this. Doing the eye test for me personally, like, I don't understand how he judged this fight. I really don't. And I'm not saying this being a Gordon fan, because I'm not. I mean, I don't mind him as a fighter, but it's not. I have no real stake in this. I'm just looking at it as an observant fan going, like, how do you judge this? And mm-hmm. you can't. And for Pimblet, we know the UFC is very high on him. We talked about this last week, but it doesn't warrant this. Yeah, I uh, found the tweet. It is from 11.30 p.m. on December 9th where uh, Ben Askren uh, tweeted, quote, YTF is Doug Crosby still judging fights? Three question marks, close quote. Yeah. There's a lot, like I say, this is just a, a very dark cloud looming over uh-huh. the UFC right now. Because you factor in what happened with James Krause and his camp, like I said, from the Mark Ramondi article on ESPN.com. I highly recommend people yeah. read that because yeah. he did a fantastic job breaking that whole scenario down because there's just so much involved there. Yeah. And then now you see with the Pimblet fight, 
there is questions and whispers getting mentioned and they're getting louder. Well, and even and, may, and maybe this is just me projecting what's going on on in the past, but how many fights, and it's not a large percentage, but you think of some of the fights you and I have watched even before this podcast mm-hmm. where we were watching and then it went to the judge's scorecard and, and Bruce Buffer, whoever was reading off the scorecard after the fight, read the scorecard and you and I both and whoever we were watching with all collectively went, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. The, you know, so is it a case that this is stretching back a long time? I don't know. Is it possible? Sure. Well, you always kind of wonder where the truth of the whole don't leave it in the hands of the judges quote really yeah. came from. Yeah. I mean, just speculation. There, there have been a lot of fights over the years that you and I have seen, though, that it gets to the judges' scorecards. And we're like, oh, yeah, that person clearly won without even looking at the stats. Yeah. Just looking at our the eye test and how the fight went. We're like, oh, yeah, you know, fighter A clearly won. Mm. And then they get to the scorecard and they go, oh, yeah, unanimous decision or split decision, fighter B. And we're like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. Which, like I say, the whole saying there is don't leave the hands of the judges. I think, like I say, now you you hear that statement now. Yeah. And there's so much more of a, of a bad feeling around it than, mm-hmm. than it should have been. Like I say, I know it was not the case when it was first said. Right. So I'll just put the whole allegedly out there. But in this situation, you really got to step back and go, okay. Maybe there's a reason behind it. Maybe there is. And it's sad to say, and I hate saying this about any fights. I, you know, this is just something. If this is going on, the UFC really needs to clamp down and stop this. Right. And, and if, it, and I stress if, right. And we don't know if anything's going on, but I think there's certain personally, I think there's some smoke to this because it's not just a couple of fans saying some things. It's not just a couple of journalists saying some things when you've got fighters weighing in on, on specific judges and going, why are they still doing this? And this is, this happens more often than not with this specific judge. I think there might be some smoke to that fire. I do too, and I think this comes. This will be something the UFC will be addressing, and I think that they understand how much this is a very bad, bad look for them, and I think they don't want to have any part of this. And I think they'll be very smart and act very swiftly. I honestly do. I think that they will obviously be uh, dealing with this investigation and moving forward with it. And I think you're going to see some swift change because if they don't, yikes. And that'll uh-huh. just put it that mildly. But I think Dana White and the powers that be there are that smart that they will address this very quickly. Oh, they're going to put the squash on this immediately. Yeah, and I don't see that judge coming back anytime soon. No. I, I don't see how they would ever allow that. It, it took them so long to get a, like legitimized, I guess. Exactly. In, in the people's eyes. that like It went from, oh, this is a barbaric sport where guys just beat the shit out of each other to where it's one of the biggest sports on the planet. I'm not going to say it's the biggest because it's not. You know, but one of the biggest sports on the planet, and it cannot afford a black eye like this. No, it cannot. So definitely UFC will have to address this and very quickly, and stay tuned because we'll be talking about it more so as the new year is rolling into it. Yep. Uh, and then last fight on the card we got to talk is the light heavyweight division fight for the vacant UFC light heavyweight championship, which was between Jan Blahovitz and uh, Magomed Ankalev. And, well... There's still no champion uh, because this was a split decision draw with the fight going 48-47, 46-48, and 47-47. Yeah, I had this uh, Magnov winning. Not by much, but I did have him winning this. So I uh, pulled up the scorecards because I know some people will be interested in how the fuck we got here. Uh, <laughs> the one judge, uh, Mike Bell, uh, scored the first three rounds for Blahovitz 10-9, and then gave the final two rounds to uh, Ankelev, uh, 10-9, so 48-47. You had the blue judge, Derek Clearly, uh, score the first two rounds for Blahovitz 10-9, gave the final three rounds to uh, Ankelev, 10-9, so 46-48. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the pink judge, Sal D'Amato, uh, who gave the one, two, first three rounds to uh, Blahovitz, 10-9, gave the second, or excuse me, the uh, first three rounds, 10-9, to Blahovitz, gave the fourth round to Ankalev, 10-9, and then gave the uh, final fifth round to Ankalev, 10-8. Hmm. So that's how they ended up with the forty-seven, forty-seven. Yeah, uh, I like scoring's weird. Scoring is weird, and another case. Now, obviously, a different case than the Pimlick uh, yeah. argument. Yeah, but still, a very bad way to end the fight like this. Um, Hoping to uh, ve- uh, get somebody on the vacant title. Now, there's not anybody on the title yet. No, because immediately after in the presser, it was announced that Glover Teixeira will fight Jamal Hill. For the belt at UFC 283 on January 21st in Brazil. Right. So that was swift action by Dana White because obviously they don't want to have a division held up by no champion. And Yuri is sitting there just chomping at the bit to come back. So when Prozaka is ready to come back, I think that it's going to be a very tough task for whoever's in front of him because I think he's going to be ready to do some damage the minute he walks in. And shout out Yuri who had... Probably my favorite reaction after the fight was over. Uh, tweeting from his official Twitter account. Quote, I just watched the quote, quote unquote, title fight. Everyone knows who the champion is. Just give me some time. Lightning emoji, uh, prayer emoji, lightning emoji. Close quote. Yeah, because, I mean, he's going to be out a while. And like we've said, we've touted his praises here for stepping back. Yeah. Because he'll get the first title shot when he's back. And I'm telling you right now, he's seeing all this nonsense going on with his belt. And he's going. Currently the, still the number one ranked fighter. As he should be. No, I don't think the, they should take him out of that position. You can definitely schedule no. fights around him. But I think that this is going to be one of those situations where when he comes back, he's going to be ready to go. And like I said, for Blahovitz and, and Magnov, I, like I said, I would have gave it to Magnov. This fight didn't really have any sizzle to it. No. There's nothing really to write home about. I know Blahovitz was saying at the end, he's like, oh, well, Magnov won the fight. It's like. When you start putting stuff out like that, it's just like... It, You're not helping your case, my guy. No, it isn't. So this does did this did not put a good taste in anybody's mouth watching this fight or you know, no. coming from this. And especially from the buildup, I mean, which we'll just kind of just wrap this up and saying, this had all the premise to be a re- really great card. The two main events really didn't deliver. Right. And you can't really end a fight like this on a tie. And yeah. I understand it happens. It is what it is. Yeah. Still don't agree with it. But at least Dana White is addressing him, the mm-hmm. two issues, like I say. Yeah. The Pimblet thing is something to watch moving forward. I don't know where he goes from here. I don't. He'll be featured in a big fight against somebody. I don't think he's going to be cracking into the top 10 anytime soon. No. But I think he'll get another high-profile fight. He'll be in a co-main, and then just depending on how that all goes is where he goes from here. And then, and then in that light heavyweight division, it's going to be anybody's guess. But I mean, Teixeira and Hill, that'll be a good fight. Yeah, I'll say that's the next light heavyweight bout on the UFC's matchup for UFC 283, which is uh, January 21st of the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in the, looks like it's going to be in the main event. Uh, also of note on that card, uh, probably going to be in the co-main event is the unification fight for the flyweight belt uh, between Figueroa and Moreno. Interesting. So that that's on the card as well. Well, you've also got Burns and Magny on that card as well. Yeah, they're putting together <laughs> they're putting together a solid card for that one. Yeah. So, ooh, that one's in Brazil too. Yep, that indeed. So that's why they're stacking it. Oh okay. yeah, no, they're they're definitely gonna pull out all the stops for this card. And obviously, the UFC wants to kick off 2023 in a good way because obviously there's a lot of bad press right now with them, and it's a shame too. 
Yeah. So obviously the powers to be will take care of that, and then we'll be speculating going on from here. But that's why we ask you, the ODPH Society, to jump in the conversation. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts from UFC 282? I know our guy Mike from the Multiverse of Badness is going to have a lot to say about this. I know that we have a lot of other friends watching UFC are going to be chiming in about this as well. I want to get their temps in the room. I really want their opinions about what is going on with the whole scandals that are allegedly going down and mm-hmm. how, you know what's the easiest way to fix this. And then what's your thoughts on the light heavyweight title question mark asterisk whatever you want to define that Kerfuffle. as is just a mess right now but that's why we're here to talk about it so let's continue that conversation but we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies are b movies more your style then the folks over at they call this a movie have you covered join us every thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi action comedy and more we are available on itunes stitcher spotify and podbean at they call this a movie.podbean.com they call this a movie Testing the strength of friendships, one terrible movie at a time. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Obviously, got to talk some local uh, sports because looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League, uh, that is the uh, hockey league that our local Binghamton Black Bears play in. Uh, in the Empire Division, they are still in second place behind Danbury, uh, who is 15 1 and 1. Binghamton here, 13 4 and 2. So, still doing pretty well for themselves. Uh, and then looking at their schedule from the past week of games, uh, they had a game on Friday uh, on the road in Del- playing the Delaware Thunder where they won by the final score of 7-2. to two. Uh, They came back home on Saturday night to play the Delaware Thunder again, which was Teddy Bear Toss that night. Uh, did not have to wait long for the Teddy Bear Toss because, well, 12 seconds into the game, Binghamton scored and the Teddy Bears came raining from the rafters. Mm-hmm. Awesome to see. Uh, and so Binghamton won that game by the final score of 6-3. to three. Looking ahead to their games, they have this upcoming week. They're at home on Friday, December 16th. Start time is 7 o'clock p.m. They're playing the Watertown Wolves. Uh, and then they're back on the road on Saturday, <clears throat> uh, December 17th, 7 o'clock Eastern, playing the Delaware Thunder again. Uh, they return home next week. Uh, for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. Uh, then we got to switch over to the World Cup because, hey, we're nearing the end of the World Cup. Uh, Crazy, you think. I know. went by so quickly. Uh, USA, unfortunately, is out, although let's be honest, uh, this bracket is playing out like a lot of, you know, you got that one person in your office or in your life who might fill out a college basketball bracket mm-hmm. and they just pick all upsets. Yeah. Kind of how this one's feeling. Uh, because in the semifinal matchups, you had Argentina taking on Croatia, which I think a lot of people probably would have had Argentina uh, in the semifinals. Lionel Messi, one of the best players on the planet, yeah. Uh, depending on your own personal opinion, uh, was a place for Argentina. So I think a lot of people would have had Argentina there. Croatia, maybe, maybe not. Uh, and then on the other side of the bracket, you had France, who with uh, Mbappe there. Uh, a lot of people would have figured they probably might have probably would have been there, but hey, you never know. And then you got the Cinderella story that is Morocco uh, in the semifinal matchup. Uh, so one semifinal matchup did take place today as we record, where Argentina beat Croatia by a final score of three to nothing. Uh, so you do have Argentina moving on to the final, uh, and then the game against with France and Morocco takes place on December fourteenth. Uh, check your local listings off for the here us here in the states. It starts at two o'clock p.m. Eastern. Uh, and they are taking each other on where the winner will go on to take Argentina on in the uh, World Cup final, which is scheduled to take place on December 18th at 10 o'clock Eastern on Fox. 
Uh, and then the uh, third place game will take place on December 17th at 10 o'clock Eastern on Fox, where uh, whoever loses between uh, France and Morocco will take on Croatia for third place. Interesting. So Argentina might get Lionel Messi, that elusive World Cup win. You never know. Could happen. Yeah. There's, there's been a weird World Cup. I'll say that. It definitely has been. So, who knows? I mean, yeah. I, I'm kind of rooting for Messi to pull this Oh, off. I am too, because let's be honest, you know, the next World Cup's not for another four years. Might not see Messi playing in that one. So, this could be, you know, the last ride for uh, Messi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got to talk some baseball deals. Not going to talk them all because it's a long list because of the Rule 5 stuff, but talking some of the deals that went through. There's only one deal we really need to talk there's about. A, there's a couple. Uh, you for So, for the Mets, uh, you had, they signed Japanese pitcher Kodai Senga, uh, who you might not know the name, but Christ Almighty, you're going to assume. Uh, so he is a pitcher who has been pitching in the uh, Nippon Baseball League, which is the highest level of uh, professional baseball in Japan. Uh, so he is 30, he'll be 30 years old this upcoming season. He, his primary position is a pitcher, six foot, six feet tall, 178 pounds, bats left, throws right. Uh, his numbers last year, listen to this and listen to these numbers. So his last season in the, uh, Nippon Baseball League. He was went 11 and 6, a 194 ERA, 156 strikeouts, 27 walks in 144 innings pitched. Not too shabby. That's pretty damn good. I would say so. Uh, and for his career in the uh, baseball over in Japan uh, for the Nippon Baseball League, uh, 87 and 44, 2.59 ERA, 1,252 strikeouts, 414 walks in 1,089 innings pitched. God damn. Not pretty, pretty decent pitcher. Although there are some folks saying they overpaid for him. I think they paid like, it's like, I think once you, once you get past this, what they signed him for, and then the posting fee was over a hundred million dollars, but Hey, on paper seems good. It's a good deal on paper. And they needed somebody to replace the Grom. Is yeah. he, is he the end all be all answered? No, but they needed something to really get their fan base excited. Yeah. Makes the most sense. Well, they're so far. Well, we'll get to that. In a minute. They're so far in the luxury tax. It's not even funny. Right. Uh, because they also signed a uh, former Yankees pitcher, David Robertson uh, to a one year, $10 million contract to bolster that bullpen there. Uh, you had the Philadelphia Phillies sign Trey Turner, uh, the shortstop, uh, to a 11-year, $300 million contract. Get out of here. Uh, there is a full no-trade, and this is according to Spotrack.com. Uh, he has a full no-trade clause. He gets $50,000 for each All-Star League Championship Series MVP, Silver Slugger Award, Gold Glove Award, and World Series MVP uh, Award. And then he gets $500,000 for an MVP uh, award, $50,000 for second, and $25,000 for third. Uh, Currently, he is uh, 29 years old, uh, but so they'll be paying this man until he's 40. (laughs) Although, Tixalos, by the time his contracts are over, the Mets will still be paying Bobby Bonilla. Yep. That's all, that's, I, that's all you need to know. That's the craziest stat ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Mets, they did sign uh, center fielder Brandon Nimmo to a eight-year, $162 million what deal. What the? Uh, he got a full no-trade clause, uh, and uh, this, again, according to Spotrack.com, uh, he can win uh, $200,000 if he wins MVP, $150,000 if he finishes in second, $50,000 if he finishes in third, and then he gets $100,000 each for a gold glove, silver slugger, LCS MVP, and all-star MVP. Uh, and then if he wins the World Series MVP, he gets $150,000. Don't get me wrong. Guy's good. Is he worth that much money? He ain't that good. Not that Not that much to me. No way. Uh, and then you had the uh, Boston, or excuse me, Xander Bogarts left Boston, was a free agent. He is signing with the San Diego Padres for an 11-year, $280 million contract. 
Uh, he is currently 30 years old, so they will be paying him until he's 40. Uh, this does include a full no trade clause. So interestingly, though, he is a shortstop. They've already got a shortstop. So what happens? Does Xander Bogarts move to another position? Does Tatis Jr. move to another position? I know there's a lot of rumors uh, swirling that the Yankees might trade for him. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy it either. I know Jack Curry from the Yes Network. Uh, that's the Yankees television broadcast that spoke to somebody in the Yankees organization. The, the Yankees organization said they haven't even thought about it or talked about it. So I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, we'll see. I'm not holding any breath on that one. I think they're just trying to do it to create some buzz. Hopefully they they were hoping they somebody buy into it because he's got yeah. such a crazy contract. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, the Mets had to replace Jacob DeGrom and Boy, did they ever. Uh, they signed Justin Verlander to a two-year, $86 million contract uh, with a uh, option for uh, a third year. Uh, so, good Lord. Uh, although, got to note, he is 39 years old. He will be 40 by the time the new season's because he's 39 years and 306 days old. Uh, so, he will be 40 by the time this season starts. Uh, but, boy, you wouldn't know it based on the numbers. No, Verlander's found a way to kind of extend that career out. So, I mean, he's not known as a power pitcher anyway, so uh-huh. he'll be fine in New York. I think he'll add some veteran leadership there. And have I, fun uh, with the lack of run support. Yeah, but you know what? He's he, he's already won enough, you know. Like, uh-huh. I don't think he's too worried about that. I think he knew that he was going to get a big deal, and this is the best place that he could land, and especially in New York. To, he'll make the money back. Yeah. Uh, and then the one contract that matters to us the most and the one that had to get done, and it did get done, Aaron Judge signed a nine-year, $360 million contract to stay with the New York Yankees. Uh, 360 of it guaranteed. He's got an av- annual average salary of $40 million a year. So that is the largest average salary for a contract for a position player in Major League Baseball history at signing, and it is the largest total value free agent contract in Major League Baseball history at signing. So they got their man. Now just give him the captainship, and he's good. That's, oh, what's, that's what's going to happen. Also, uh, he's got a full no-trade clause. And the one thing we speculated about last week is we all thought he was coming back anyway. Yeah, yeah. He tested the market. He did the smart thing. He tested to see what everybody else was throwing at him. Yeah. We knew other teams threw more money at him. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, San Diego threw 400 mil. San Diego, yeah, San Diego was allegedly more, and the Yankees found out about it. Uh, and then the, the way the story goes is that the Yankees reached out to Judge and, and Hal Steinbrenner specifically reached out to Judge and said, do you want to be a Yankee? To which Judge reportedly said, told him yes and Hal asked what would it take to make you a Yankee and it was sounded so and then reportedly Judge said a ninth year so it sounds like the Yankees were going eight and then they found out uh, the, the other teams might be going more they got a little nervous asked him what will it take he goes ninth year and they went and did it the ghost of George possessed Hal yeah I'm okay with this yeah we needed Judge back because love it or hate it he is the face of the franchise as mm-hmm. of right now to have lost him would have been detrimental. Yeah. But we said if we if he left, he was going for the money. He didn't care about winning. This solidified he was definitely about winning, and he wants to win in New York. The pressure did not get to him for everybody saying, oh, he should have left. He can't handle New York. New York doesn't know how to treat fans. Listen, if you want to play for fans that give a shit, you play in New York. Yes, you do. And sometimes when things don't go right, they let you know. But I tell you what, when you do play up to what you you should be doing, if you're leaving it all on the field, you're giving 110%, they will love you. See, this is also the argument. I know we're going to kind of switch sports for a second. This, sure. is, like, this is why Henrik Lundqvist has his number hanging in the garden. Yeah. Did he ever win a chip there? Unfortunately, no. no but he did everything in his damn power to try. Mm-hmm. And New York respects that. Yeah. The same thing will be said for Judge if he can't pull off a chip, but you're in the best position each and every year. 
to win. Look at Mattingly. Mattingly never won a, t- a title when he was with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Still beloved by that franchise or by, Absolutely. Uh, by the fan base. Because you know what? He played hard. He gave everything he had. He did not falter. He didn't get mad when people booed. This is New York. Yeah. There are certain towns that, trust me, when you step up and play, they'll respect you. As much as I hate them, I give credit to Boston. Sure. Boston's the same way. New York is the same way. Chicago is the same way. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers are the same way to an extent. Not as not as overly vocal. Sure. Philly is more. Yeah. But you but that's where you want to go because if you win there, you're a legend. Oh yeah. If you win in Kansas City, unfortunately, you're forgotten in um, baseball. I'm sorry it is. Well, you're a legend in that area and past that, man. Right, but I mean when you talk about like the historic times, like I mean if you win in Kansas City, sure, that's a big deal, but yeah. I'm saying like retrospect Kansas City is a small market. Yeah, they are. The Royals are not the front page news every time. No. The Yankees are front page every time. Yeah. So it's what do you want to do? What do you want to win? Or do you want to go out to San Francisco where you might have a good season here or there, sure. so to speak? But the Giants on, on even numbered years. The, yeah, the Giants haven't been consistent enough to win each year. They just haven't. Just on even years. Yep. They go. They're very streaky. So I don't think yeah. Judge understood this. He understood what was going on. Same thing with the Padres. You don't understand what I'm talking about. Their last three World Series title wins were all on years that were even numbers. Mm-hmm. Go look it up. Yeah, I'm saying. So Judge knows if he can win this, he's a legend for life. Yeah. And this is a, this is a question he proves he wants to win. So you know what? We're happy to have him back. He's Absolutely. Gonna, he's going to be the captain by the time season starts. Don't even. That's probably the safest lock we can make for 2023. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't that, see them giving it to somebody else. That, well, they don't give well, – that's the thing. The captainship isn't like NFL or NHL where they have to have one. It's it's kind of a customary honorary clubhouse thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why, especially if you look at the history of captains with the Yankees, there's great stretches where there aren't any. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a withheld thing for guys who are the leader of the team and are the leader in the clubhouse. And Judge is clearly the leader in the clubhouse. I They're going to give it to him. I just like to think that at, you know it's at this point it's a conversation – they're going to have at some point just given the whirlwind free agency he just had and all the phone calls and all the air miles he logged and all this they're like hey we'll have that conversation down the road enjoy your off season they'll be doing an opening day yeah like let's be honest opening day or like the opening of spring training yeah by spring training they'll announce it but they'll yeah. make a big yeah. de- they'll make a big deal about that that merch yeah for him being captain oh yeah oh i see it happening already but this is what the yankees needed to do just got to get some more pitching, but you know what? The season will come when it comes. Mm-hmm. We still got, what, six more weeks till pitchers and catchers? Something like that. It's like or a no, hu- eight, eight more weeks. Yeah, it's like 100. I think we're near or just over 100 days till opening day. Right. So at least the Yankees did what they needed to do. So yeah. kudos to them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, Rich doesn't have to become a self-hating uh, Mets fan. Yes, because, well... Yeah, that's a that's a tough burden. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Rich, we were talking on 607 TWS about a lot of pro wrestling going on, and I think yeah. the card of the weekend is what we're going to be talking to Pat about because Pat is a huge WWE NXT fan yeah. and definitely has some opinions about NXT Deadline, which went down this past Saturday from the Performance yeah. Center on the Peacock Network. One of the best deals in all of pro wrestling to get for your WWE it, fix. It's up there, yeah. So let's talk about this card. Yeah, so this was, uh, like we mentioned, the NXT deadline card, which took place from the uh, Capitol Wrestling Center, that being the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, on Peacock, uh, which you can find the replay at. Uh, two dark matches that took place uh, before the show started, got to mention. Uh, you had Ivy Nile defeated Lash Legend in a singles matchup, and then you had Chase University. Chase, you! Uh, specifically, Duke Hudson and Andre Chase uh, defeated Javier Bernal and Zion Quinn uh, in a tag team matchup. 
I love Chase U. Like they're, I'm sorry, they're growing on me. They're hysterical. They're growing on me. At first, you know, at first I was like, oh, I don't really know about this, but you know what? They're growing on. Yeah, me. like that's the whole thing about them. Like they grow on you, and especially when they did the uh, mock media scrum. Yeah, that skit was hilarious. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, on the deadline uh, card specifically, you had the first match on the card was the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge. This was to determine the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, and this was between Roxanne Perez, Zoe Stark, Cora Jade, Kiana James, and Indy Hartwell. Uh, and you had uh, Roxanne Perez uh, emerge victorious in 25 minutes, which was ended up being the time limit uh, for the uh, this specific match. Uh, win with two pinfalls. Uh, to become the new number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. And we should note that the winners of each Iron Survivor match are going to be facing the champions, respectively, on January 4th for New Year's Evil Ooh. on the USA Network. Okay. So this match, great match. I, yeah. I was really impressed because when we went into this, nobody really knew what this Iron Survivor thing was going to be. No. And it's a mix of the King of the Mountain from TNA mm-hmm. and a little bit of Wall Games from WWE. Yeah. And it kind of mixes a little bit of an Iron Man match or Iron Woman match in there as well, where whoever gets the most pins within the allotted time mm-hmm. wins the match. However, if you get pinned, you need to go to the t- penalty box. So you're out of the running to get pins. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a unique concept. It grew on me, but it was also due to the performance of the women involved in this match. Yeah. Because they really set a good t- uh, pace for it. Sure. And a good example, like what could be going on with this because they were definitely trying to steal the show and i love oh yeah no the match was good you know it was i was a little confused how this was going to work just because of the way the rules were set up Mm -hmm. one because i thought the match was going to work like a war games where the match wasn't going to officially start until all competitors were in the in the ring no it it started once you had the first two competitors in the ring so i'm like oh okay my one issue with the match was the whole penalty box thing i like the penalty box don't get me wrong it's a cool thing Mm -hmm. you know it adds punishment to you losing the thing i didn't like though is that the timer on the on the wrestler that went to the penalty box started as soon as the pinfall was over so yeah. who, whoever took i forget who it was took that first pinfall by the time they got to the penalty box it was like 30 or 4 it's so it was like a minute and a half they're supposed to be in the penalty box or something like that give take now the penalty box if you didn't watch was on the entrance ramp on the opposite sides from where the wrestlers actually come out mm-hmm. so it was a little ways away which i get for uh spacing and, and confinement and not having a whole lot of space that's why they had to do it yeah but just with where it was situated and the way it worked i didn't like how whoever took that first pinfall it was like 30 to 45 seconds left by the time they actually got to the penalty box mm-hmm. i think if you do this match this this card again or this match again at a bigger venue put the penalty box a little closer to the ring just because they, they like to sell the injuries and they're like ah, oh, they're getting out really slow I didn't like how it was like 30, 45 seconds. So basically half the time had gone by the time the person was actually to the penalty box. That was my one complaint with the match. Other than that, the match was awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I think, and that's a great call out too, Pat, because I didn't even realize that at the time for being a brand new match, you weren't sure how it was going to go. And I think they they put a good pace on it. And I think it definitely explained Kiana James. uh, First time I really saw her wrestle. Yeah. She looked really good. good. like, Like in the ring, like just timing wise. Hit a great Spanish fly, I believe, too. Yeah. Like a great flying move. Like she was really impressive in this match, but kudos to Roxanne Perez. I think she's t- she's going to win the belt off oh, yeah. Mandy Rose, too. Could I be. fully think that's going to happen. Uh, next up was a singles matchup where uh, Ila Dawn defeated Alba Fire via pinfall in nine minutes and 52 seconds. Probably my least favorite match on the, the night. 
match was okay. You know, I, I understand what they're trying to do, and I kind of understood the angle, although that might be because I played 230-some-odd hours in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah. So I understand the whole Scottish mysticism thing going on, you know, which th- that game takes place in England, for those of you who don't know. Um, you know, so I understood what they were trying to do. A little too much for me. You know, it was a good matchup, though. Yeah, whenever you start dancing around supernatural stuff in pro wrestling, yeah. it's, it's either a big win, yeah. a lot of The Undertaker, uh, certain things with Bray Wyatt, sure, and sometimes it's a big miss. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of stuff on Impact. Uh, concerning, yeah. well, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's been certain angles that have just kind of gone really uh, off the deep end, in my opinion. Like, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Love Impact Wrestling, but I was not a big fan of a lot of Supernatural stuff. Sure. And some things of Bray Wyatt, too, I'm not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. So that all said, this match, just a little too much Supernatural stuff for me and my liking, but solid match. Mm-hmm. Not, not the worst. Uh, next up was The New Day. New Day. Uh, with Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods taking on Pretty Deadly, uh, that being Elton Prince and Kit Wilson uh, for the NXT Tag Team Championships uh, because you had Pretty Deadly being like, hey, we cleaned out the division. We're the best. We got nobody left to face. In come The New Day going, you know, we've held a lot of belts over our, over our years as champions. You know, the WWE Tag Team Champions, Raw Tag Team Champions, SmackDown Tag Team Champions one tag team championship we haven't held it's that one mm-hmm. so they challenged uh pretty deadly for the championship in which you had the new day emerge victorious to become your and new nxt tag team championships winning via pinfall uh in 14 minutes five seconds highlight of this match has to be the four competitors doing the eddie guerrero spot yes. with the belt in the middle of the ring oh my god that was incredible amazing I, I thought this could have been a match of the weekend. Mm-hmm. The chemistry these four had was very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Pretty Deadly is going to be big on the main roster. I think for anybody that wants an easy comparison, they're almost like the fashion police. Yes. But turned up to 11. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I think that they are definitely going to be oh, yeah. characters made for the main roster. And they can go in the ring, too. Yeah. And for the New Day, it's perfect because, obviously, with the Usos, dominating the tag team division and holding the belts for at least another four months. Exactly. They'll hold them to mania. The new day needs something, right? And this is a win for NXT too, because a lot of people are tuning in to see what the new day is going to do down there. Right. It'll help give them some fresh opponents to wrestle. Yeah. And really elevate their status. And I mean, obviously they're going to go down as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Oh, absolutely. But to have the NXT titles, bring them up to SmackDown, have them showcased up there. Sure. You're going to get more people to tune into NXT. And even if you're going to have a matchup between the New Day and an NXT uh, tag team, you could have it on NXT. Why not do it on SmackDown? Yeah, you can definitely feature some other people, see if they're ready for prime time. Like, there's just so much win to this. And for Kofi Kingston, too, he now sets the record for 15-time world tag team champion. Yeah, yeah. Impressive. That's crazy. Amazing. But kudos to them. Great match. Uh, next up was your co-main event of the evening, and this was the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge, where this uh, the winner of this became the number one contender for the NXT Championship, and you had this uh, the competitors in this were Grayson Waller, Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Joe Gacy, and Axiom, uh, and you had Grayson Waller emerge victorious with three, uh, three pinfalls, winning in 25 minutes to become the new number one contender for the NXT Championship. So this match impressed me. Yeah. More so than I thought it was. Grayson Waller is such such a, a, a man. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the right adjective. He's such an annoyance, but man, he, yeah. he sold me on this. Yeah. I, I honestly 
did not think he was going to be that great in this. I thought Joe Gacy looked really good. I was hoping he pulled it off. Uh, but I understand why they went with Grayson. I do too. But listen, Gacy didn't win, but he did come out of this a winner because they protect. I don't want to say they protected him a little bit, but he pointed something out on social media, and that was he didn't win, and he did finish with two pinfalls. He wasn't pinned though. Yeah. So I th- I think that's a little interesting tidbit to note that while he didn't win, he also wasn't pinned. Yeah. No, that was definitely very telling because Axiom was getting pinned left and right. Uh, Axiom. So and this is uh, off the Wikipedia page. Somebody was nice enough to, pr- to provide a statistics bracket. Uh, Axiom took one, two. Uh, took back to back pinfalls. Uh, three, four. He took four pinfalls. Yeah. But he made the most. God. Of, he made the most of his time because I remember the one time he's fighting uh, McDonough in the yeah. cage there. So yeah. Uh, but it was an entertaining match as all could be, and Grayson Waller stole this one mm-hmm. in the most he- chicken shit he away possible. Yeah. Because Carmelo Hayes, I'm telling you what, when he gets to the main roster, get ready. Oh, yeah. His athleticism is second to none, and mm-hmm. I can't wait. I Some of the matchups, I can only imagine what he's going to be doing. Oh, it's going to be good. But he definitely got the uh, – he hit a, uh, his finisher on – I, I want to say it was almost Axiom again too. Yeah. And before he could get the pin, he was shoved out of the ring. Uh, Grayson Waller stole the pin with under yep. a minute left. Yep. And then Carmelo Hayes went back in, and then he uh, Waller pulled the body outside the ring so he couldn't get the pin there and was running around the ring trying not to get touched Yes. And, and, yeah. and burned up the clock. Yeah, so with uh, 24 minutes and 30 seconds left, uh, Axiom was pinned by Grayson Waller, and the Wikipedia uh, table does note – uh, under notes, it says uh, he, Axiom was pin, quote pinned after Hayes hit Axiom with a diving leg drop. Yeah, so yeah, it was kind of crazy to see, but Grayson Waller steals the win. Yeah, and now has a title shot against Braun Breaker. Had um, probably won't win, but it'll be good. Well, we'll talk about that obviously because with Breaker facing Apollo Cruz in the main event, mm-hmm. and this match. Very solid match. Good match, yeah. I can't remember the last time I cared this much about an Apollo Crews matchup. Well, since he's been in NXT, he's another wrestler that is now reinvented himself, a la Mandy Rose, down in NXT. He's definitely looking more comfortable mm-hmm. in the primetime spotlight. Yeah. Not saying he wasn't before, but I think that when he came in, obviously, a big name, and then when, yeah. you get, when you get called to the main roster, sometimes it just doesn't click. Right. And I think in his case, he's athletic as all can be. Oh, God, yeah. But charisma-wise, you just didn't have it. Same thing could be said for Mandy Rose when she first came up. Right. Because it just it didn't go over as well. Well, and, I, and if memory serves, you could tell Apollo was still a work in progress when he went back down to NXT because wasn't Commander Aziz still with him mm-hmm. when he first showed up back in NXT? Yeah, so it was kind of a an interesting time period for him. Work in progress. But this is something that I think... The WWE higher-ups know what they have with Apollo Crews. Yeah. And putting him in this kind of program, I think, is only going to help elevate him. The match was very solid, and especially for Braun Breaker, it's a great win. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I didn't like about this match is Breaker was taking a lot of punishment. Sure. And instantly, out of nowhere, hit the spear to get the win. Oh, yeah. Hated that finish. Not as much as the Ring of Honor show that we will not talk about here, and the worst <laughs> finish I've seen in modern pro wrestling in quite some time. Swing, baby, swing. Oh, my God. Uh, you want to hear that rant, 607 TWS. But I thought this match, that was the only thing I thought was a drawback, so I wouldn't doubt that we see Apollo Crews face Braun Breaker again at some point. Sure. I just, right I just don't see when they're going to do it right away because after this match, Grayson Waller came in, hit his finisher on Braun Breaker, set up the shot, obviously, for New Year's Evil on January 4th. Yep. 
Overall, Pad, final thoughts on the card? Good card. You know, it, this was probably the closest to a, you know, a takeover card of the black and gold era we've gotten to. And, you know, I've, top to bottom, I really liked it. The only the only thing that was, like, the lowest rated, quote-unquote, uh, match on the card was the Isla Dawn Alba Fire match. And, listen, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever no, seen. No, it definitely wasn't bad. But if I'm ranking, you know, uh, what is it, one to five you know that one just falls at the bottom just because there was better stuff ahead of it that's the whole thing i agree with you too it wasn't that was bad in the ring it was just anytime you start dealing with the supernatural shit it's just it's it's extremely hit or miss yeah but nevertheless like this was a very very good card top to bottom i think the the men's match definitely kind of stole the show a little bit even though the new day and uh pretty deadly are right there at number two yeah the women's match is right there at number three for yeah uh, the Iron Survivor. So, like I say, there's a lot of win to be had here. Yeah. So I'm not saying anything was, like, bad. Right. But I think it was very solid overall. But there's certain moments that stand out. And for NXT, obviously, with Shawn Michaels at the helm, mm-hmm. I think is taking steps back to be going to NXT 1.0, the black and gold era. As so, close as it can get, yeah. Yeah, but being different, too, at the same time. Because it right. doesn't feel like no. a super indie. It, 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 there, it's got some of the same vibes and some of the same feelings to it, but it doesn't feel like a carbon copy. No, it definitely doesn't. So yeah. I'm excited to see where they go in the next year. And obviously, there'll be some headlines coming out of that yeah. that we'll definitely be talking about here on the ODPH. And for more pro wrestling content, obviously, 607TWS on your favorite podcast provider. And remember, remember, remember to vote for the Brodies. Yeah. The link is up right now at odphpodcast.com where you can find anything and everything that is the ODPH. Mm-hmm. That's all for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one